This week on Invasion the Podcast, we continue on with our Year of Carpenter by looking at his only Stephen King adaptation with 1983's Christine. Is it cherry or is it a shitter? Wait a minute, wait a minute. I'm a reasonable guy, but I've just experienced some very unreasonable things. I met this six-year-old child with this blank, pale, emotionless face. The blackest eyes, the devil's eyes. It's the invasion of the podcast. I have come here to chew bubblegum and kick ass. Okay. Show me. I don't know what the hell's in there, but it's weird and pissed off, whatever it is. The Year of Carpenter. Why don't we just wait here for a little while, see what happens. And welcome to Invasion the Podcast, where we take over the world one listener at a time. My name is Paul. How do you like that dick face, Stedman? And coming back from assignment as Steve looks smart, but has the body of a slut king. Welcome back, Steve. <laughs> hey, everybody. Thanks for having me back. <laughs> having you. You're the co-host. <laughs> oh, wait. I'm the co-host? Yeah. You were, you were just missing for a week. It wasn't like you've been oh. gone for years, you know? Like, I mean, you're all right. You did you did go away on business uh, to Texas, and you came back, and somehow the country is now 50 years backwards. So I will, I will yeah. give you that. You're right. You are a time traveler. I, I'm not sure I traveled distance. I, I think I traveled through time because <laughs> I left and women had all their rights. I came back and suddenly they didn't have rights. Yeah, so, right. But, and, so it's, it's, and you went to a state in which, I mean, you know, like rights are important I, as long as it's a gun, yeah. right? Like, so. Well, yes. <laughs> so. Uh, yeah. <laughs> it was one of those things, too, like, uh, to hell with it, I get political right out the gate. It was one of those things where, like, I saw the announcement I'm like, what? what and like it took everything in me to not go on facebook and just like what how do we keep moving backwards why why are we stuck in the 1950s jesus christ like what the hell is going on um i refrain from doing that but uh well yeah, i'm glad that you know. saved it's it till here week, i'm glad you that know? you saved I, the odometer going backwards uh into the 50s here i think yeah. it's appropriate i just you know so yeah end of rant you know uh, but I just, I, I don't know. I, I was like, I, I guess I'm going home uh, and uh, things are going to get bad there real quick. So. Well, I'm glad that Ohio yeah. has everything firmly figured out too. Anyway, so yeah. uh, we, we have, we have a guest uh, on the show as well. That's Steve. You're the co-host. You're not the guest. Like, so I got a, uh, we got a, uh, we got my co-host uh, Terry uh, from strange highways here. It's Terry honk for entry with a spoon. Hey, Terry. Hey, hey guys. Yeah. How's it going? <laughs> I, I like how uh, I go off on a political rant, and I'm like, hey, let's introduce Terry. Come on in. Hey, Terry, what's your hot takes on uh, women's rights uh, to health care? Uh, I think we should probably give them back, damn it. <laughs> <laughs> uh, I I don't know if this is a like a you know a hot button thing for me to really chime in on too much, because I'm a dude, but... I don't think that women should have their rights taken away. Well, so. I, I, yeah, I think it's funny. It's like we're going to talk about a movie. I'm like, not really, Terry. I just I, we're going to say like this, like sandbagging. Like, nope, we're going to talk about political stuff all for three hours. So talk in. No, um, no, yeah, my yeah. notes are not going to make any sense. Then. <laughs> <laughs> 
no, uh, it just, yeah. Um, I think we're all in agreement that it's bullshit and, uh, that things need to change. And, um, yeah, we can't keep going backwards because that's no good. And yeah. people should have right control autonomy over their own body. You know, yeah. um, people yeah. are, people are effing up right now. It's just, it's, it really sucks. I mean, yeah, it, it's, 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 it's a scary time right now because what's next. That's all I can like really think of. Especially yeah. considering like a very conservative uh, view that's going on right now. That's making these types of changes. What is next? Oh yeah. It's yeah. It's going to be bad. And, uh, but yeah, as the world burns, we're going to be talking about a movie about an evil car. So that's, I mean, not, to, not to, not to paper over it. Uh, but yes, everybody, you know, this is bad. Go out and vote, go make, you know, go like rattle cages, like yeah, be upset. Right. That's the right thing to do. And, and, and re- respond accordingly. <laughs> Also, it's like one of those things too. It's like, you know, this podcast, like we, we've gotten in uh, like some corners of things before and rightfully so, um, you know, there's a certain amount of like the world's beating you up. Can we take a breath and just kind of like disconnect for a second or three hours? However it works and this is what's going to be. So like last week, you know, we had, uh, 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 Richard on to talk about alligator and that was a lot of fun. And it's like, not that alligator is like politically charged, I mean, except for like animal <laughs> testing and like, you know, animal control and you know, whatever. But it's like, you know, sometimes you got to find a little bit of comfort while you, it's like, it's almost like, all right, I'm fighting all day long. Can I have a second to myself? Um, so I'm hoping everybody out there, you know, you're front facing, you're fighting the fights that need to be you know fought and you're, you're speaking, you you know you're you're standing up and speaking out. It's it's okay if you want to take a minute to like you know what what about that evil car movie? Can I listen to people's thoughts about that? I mean, am, <laughs> you know what I mean. Like I'm not trying to. Like, it's just you know everybody is entitled to some self medication and and some enjoyment, even though like everything else is going bad. It's like like you don't, you don't need. Maybe I'm not even saying this right, so I do apologize. It's like we're going to be existing in this world and we're going to be living it and fighting, but we're still, I think we're still allowed to seek out enjoyment where we can, as long as that's not the only thing we seek out. Does that make sense? I think that's, I think that's a fair statement. Yeah. Yeah. And I didn't mean to sandbag the episode by like jumping right into it. It was just, it happened to happen the day I leave Texas. The world's, the the world's full of shitters, Steve. We know that. So, so (laughs) yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah, I, I get what you're saying too. I think that uh, you know, take your enjoyment where you can get it, and uh, you know, I'll I'll leave with this. I don't think that I've ever really enjoyed this movie, but as much as I did um, on my most recent watch for the show. So uh, once we get into it, we'll talk about that. But um, any problems that I had with it previously, I did not while watching it this time. So I'm really like, Oh, pumped that's that exciting to get into. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. As I said, adjacent to Terry, who is wearing a Christine shirt. And then uh, I I'm sitting adjacent to a, um, a diorama toy type of thing that you got me for Christmas a couple years ago, of Darnell's garage with the 58 Plymouth fury. So yeah, like it'll be interesting to get your, your thoughts on your not turnaround, but your, you know, how you feel about this time through. It's going to, it's going to be a good talk. I can, I cannot wait to get to that. Um, but I'm going to ask other than going through time and, um, you know, living in the worst timeline that we're now in the darkest timeline to make a community reference. Uh, was there mm-hmm. anything else you got into over the weekend? Anything that you dug into pop culture wise? Uh, you know, not really. Um, uh, so I mean, I caught up on stuff. So, uh, when I say that I was working like 
pretty much all day and just sleeping at night for work uh, while I was in Texas. So that's pretty much true. I uh, I didn't touch a television or watch anything for like the entire time that I was there. I just didn't have time. So like, <laughs> was it every time you turn on the TV in your hotel room, was it just a reruns of Walker, Texas Ranger? Was that all it was? No, I, oh. I, I didn't even turn the TV on. That's that's how little Did it I turn was, on like, by itself, yeah. showing reruns of Tom Walker? You're like, God damn it, I don't need this. You know, like, you must be ingrained into our society. Walker, <laughs> yeah. Walker Texas Ranger, Dukes every, of Hazzard. Every time you turn over and put your hand under a pillow, a gun appears. You're like, I didn't even ask for this. Like, what's going on? You know, like... <laughs> Why is it loaded with Obey. the safety off? Why Obey. is the safety? <laughs> <laughs> no, I, uh, I, I basically spent that time like catching up on the stuff that I had missed, like the Obi Wan finale. The, uh, I guess it would have been the third episode of, of Ms. Marvel at that point. Uh, we're 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 making our way through the fourth season of Stranger Things. I think we watched two episodes that day. We're almost to the end of what the season is until tomorrow when they put out the other two episodes. But, uh, uh, everything that we watched was like just playing catch up on stuff. I didn't, mm-hmm. uh, I mean, for instance, I got home so late Friday night from, from Texas that, uh, Joe Bob was already into the second feature. Um, and I started watching that before I passed out and I haven't gotten a chance to go back and watch either of the, the, the films that he showed last week. So, I, I when I say I didn't really watch anything, I did. <laughs> so fair enough. Um, I, I know, I know, uh, Terry. I don't know if you've been watching Obi Wan or anything like that. I, I did watch the the first episode, so okay. I, at least uh, I, I got my foot uh, kind of in there. Okay, we won't get into it too much. I just I will just say that like um, I finished it as well. Um, I I enjoyed it. Um, I understand the criticism. Well, let me the 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 thought out criticisms towards it. There's a lot of really irrational criticisms thrown towards anything star Wars. Um, I wasn't expecting it to be as heavy in some story points as it was. And I could talk to Steve about that later because we have a text thread with a uh, former co-host Joe that like, they've been talking a lot of Obi-Wan and they're way more in the weed star Wars wise than I am, but I enjoyed it. I am I'm like, there was, there was stuff that I wasn't expecting that I didn't ask for that I enjoyed. Um, there, there, my one quibble, and I'll talk to Steve about this offline without, without spoiling it. It's just, I don't know if you fool certain bad guys, certain ways, I'll just throw it out that way there that, uh, things were going on. I'm like, really, you're going to pull that trick, but whatever. Anyway. Um, yeah, I enjoyed it. I thought it was solid. Um, I see people bitching now online where it's like after the solo movie didn't do so well, that kind of caused the Obi-Wan movie to, to change. And everyone's like, we could have had an Obi-Wan movie. I'm like, but you just. You still got it. Calm down. Like, I don't understand. Like, whatever. Anyway, I think it's silly. But yeah, I finished it. I enjoyed it. Uh, Ms. Marvel has just been nothing but a delight. Um, I've enjoyed it so much. And I think uh, if you guys have not been watching it, check it out. It's just, it's just so much fun. And I think Steve would agree with that. Yeah, I, I would say Ms. Marvel is... We're only four episodes in, so it could still, like, tank. But, like... Uh, I, it might be my favorite Disney Plus show, and that's including the Mandy Mandalorian. The like, Mandalorian. It's just uh, it's Mandy Moore just going around. Uh, <laughs> it's, it's starring Nicolas Cage. He's wearing a tiger shirt and a Mandalorian helmet. Yeah, with a really <laughs> long chainsaw for reasons we'll get into later. Yeah, <laughs> um, yeah, well, yeah it's, it's a lot no, of fun. I, I, yeah, it's it's fantastic. So. Uh, it made me feel like I was discovering it. Yeah. And it was discovering a new character that I hadn't really, uh, you know, I 
read very little uh, of the comics that have come out with Kamala. Um, and I was really, really happy with, uh, you know, the four episodes I've gotten so far. And I'm now going back and checking out some of the comics. And I don't know, it, it's rare that you get to like fall in love with something and, and meet something head on when it's usually something like a Marvel comic where everything that's happening right now, I, you know, had in my head for like 30 years of reading comics. Well, yeah, it's tough too. Cause since we absorb so much media, right? Like it's tough to yeah. be like, to be surprised, but yeah, it's been, it's just been a delight. I've enjoyed it a great deal. So I'm glad you're getting caught up. I'm sure we'll have more to say later about that. And Terry, I know you and I were physically in the same room two days ago recording strange highways, which is a twilight zone podcast. Um, is there anything that you got into the weekend that, um, I don't know if you got into other, any other movies, media, anything else? I started watching, uh, what do you call it? Uh, Doctor Strange and the Multiverse of Madness. Mm-hmm. I'm about like three fourths of the way through that. It with my with what's been going on lately with me and my lifestyle and that, like I have to chew at things for a bit, like before I can finally finish. Well, them. watching things in segments isn't a bad thing. Yeah, yeah. it's like it's like well, this is kind of my show right now. So you know, I I watch it's, a little it's, bit. It's a four episode series called a Doctor Strange and the Multiverse of Madness. You're yeah. Getting, well, there's, <laughs> then there's also points where I'm just like. I'm really drunk right now, and this movie is very, like, <laughs> it's very complicated for me. To, like, I'm like Sam Raimi, thanks, bro. The multiverse of drunkness. I mean, which I think that might be a way uh, to describe our show here, the Asian right. podcast. You know, yeah, you know? it's uh, it's been a chore <laughs> when you're yeah. drunk, you know. Yeah, but no, it's uh, it's great so far. Um, I've, I've rewatched certain parts because you know why not, and then um, my wife and I um. You know, I, we were kind of watching it together. She was half asleep, and she's like, "I was like, oh yeah, I'm sorry, I'm watching this." And she's like, "Well, I'm kind of interested, and I want to know where it goes." I'm like, "That's the magic words." So we went all the way back. <laughs> so we went all the way back to the uh, to Incredible Hulk and started from there. So, oh, so right. we watched Incredible Hulk, and then um, we're about half of the way through Iron Man right now. Nice. Okay. If that if that sparks her interest in, like, you know, there's a lot of cool shit that she may not have been interested in. Right. Okay. And it's, it's like if 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 this is something that's completely undiscovered to her, and she is somewhat entertained by bits of it, it's like. Well, dude, you you wait until I I just rip I have, open your skull and like all the magic I have, flies I have 30 out. Thirty <laughs> plus movies to bring to you. Yeah, <laughs> it's yeah, like we're, we we got we got something we got a plan for the summer. Apparently, nice. <laughs> that's a that's a good summer, <laughs> right? It's like uh, oh, screw going out onto the beach or having drinks on a patio. <laughs> We're watching TV at our air-conditioned house and drinking beer. Like, <laughs> works for me. <laughs> it just reminds me that married with children where Al would go on vacation, but he really wouldn't leave his house. He'd put the baby, baby gates up, up. <laughs> by his, his couch, it. and then he would just pretend he was flying. And I know Bud come over. He's like, Dad. He's like talking to me. He's like, Bud, you know I'm here. I know I'm here. Everybody knows I'm here. But Daddy needs time away, or else he's going to snap and kill everybody. And Bud's like, See when you get back. He's like, Thanks, son. Like, just like. <laughs> <laughs> all right well that's cool like i we've talked about the multiverse of madness on here uh with uh with steve and, and kathy and it was a wonderful talk and i i like that movie like i come away with the liking more than steve did however i do want to do a second watch of it because like, like i think there's things in this again it's kind of like like we're going to get into this with christine it's like um you know sometimes maybe if you meet once you already know what the film is, and I, I think I use Thor Ragnarok as my example. Like the first time I saw it, I thought it was a little too cheeky, mm. but then watching it again, it set a lot better for me and I enjoyed it a lot more. So 
I, I want to go back and revisit Doctor Strange. But I, I enjoyed it the first time, but I'm, I'm, you know, like, so I'm glad that you're getting into it. Well, with the saturation level of all the films, all the shows, it's like there's so much content now. And especially when you, like, mm-hmm. take into mind, of like, especially if you like things that are not Marvel films, things that are not comic book related, then you have all the other stuff. You know, like, I we've been watching Stranger Things and getting caught up on that so we can get ready for the release of the other episodes that are coming out. And then, like balancing all the other mm-hmm. stuff that we watch it, it's it's a lot to, to digest but then when you finally lay it all out out on like the you know the 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 blanket and you're like all right but what really happened <laughs> you know like i i don't think we gave any of that a time to like for process yeah, and, yeah. Uh, and process it's like so now it's going to be with somewhat of fresh eyes i think that going back you know 15 years and watching some of these films. That's fair. Know? I've not gone back and actually run the series again and told, and told the MCU, I need to go back. Like, cause it's like, it was easy early on where you're like, Oh, there's only four films. You could watch all of them. Right. And it's like, now it's like, Oh shit. Like there's movies I've bought that I liked in the theater that like, I've not rewatched Ant-Man and the Wasp, but I like that film. I've, I had a lot of fun with it, but yeah. I've not seen it since I bought it on Blu-ray. I've, um, I've watched, um, like the first 20 minutes of black Panther, Again, not because I wasn't in it, just I started watching it again and I just didn't get to finish it. It's like there's a lot there that I'm sure there's like, oh, yeah, I'm, I'm robbing myself of a lot of good stuff. I've just not gotten back to it. And you having, you know, it's like having um, somebody by proxy that hasn't seen it will give you like, I think that's fun. I think it's fun to be like, oh, can I show you this? And then watching someone's reaction. And also that gives you a chance to kind of process about why you liked or didn't like something. Cause you have somebody to bounce it off of. And, and I don't have to feel like I'm watching porno in my other, <laughs> in the other room now. Because like, are you watching Iron Man two again? <laughs> like it's whiplash. You don't even know. Like, <laughs> like it's, just, it's, it's like, I feel like I'm doing something wrong in the other room. It's like, no, I'm just watching the Eternals. Like, like I mean, like just shame me for that. But yeah, let's <laughs> right? yeah, yeah exactly. Yeah. It's like, it, you can shame me when you know, what the Eternals is. Like. Yeah, right. <laughs> yeah. So no, okay, that's cool. Um the only thing I want to mention for from my weekend um is that I I the new episode came out today of this recording, which is Thursday, but I got caught up on Star Trek Strange New Worlds. Um so it is uh it's only 10 episodes for the season. I got through eight of them. Uh it's probably my favorite Star Trek like live action show of uh, since Paramount Plus has actually started putting on Star Trek. Oh, no kidding. Yeah, it's a lot of fun. Um, it's it's very episodic, where, meaning like um, I, I didn't realize like I don't know. I've, I don't need Star Trek stuck in a box of like it's just these guys on a ship and then they have a, th- a problem of the week and whatever. It's like but I think that's kind of where it works best in a lot of ways. And you leave a lot of like um, character threads and like beats throughout it where you the characters kind of move forward a little bit. But give me a problem of the week as opposed to like. 20 episodes where there's an ongoing story. I think that's what a lot of people enjoyed about the original series, too. Because Well, even like Next Generation, Deep Space Nine. I mean, I know Deep Space Nine got a little bit more deep about like some of the stuff later, and Voyager did as well. But it's like you still got to know the crew. They had their own conflicts and uh, victories and defeats. And it's like, you, it's like, that's, I think that's the part of Star Trek I like a lot where it's like, it's not, I mean, it is family, but it's also like, it's a, like, it doesn't need to be Star Wars. It doesn't need to be Battlestar Galactica. Like Star Star Trek is its own thing, you know. And I, Strange New Worlds, I think, has somehow caught that like spirit of it, and it's so fun and it's good. And I, I just, I've been digging it a great deal. 
Yeah, I, I, yeah. I, I, oh, I'm, I'm okay. sorry to cut you off there, Steve. I, I don't really have a whole lot of input when it comes to Star Trek. Well, it's, I know it's, just, it's 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 such a you know a juggernaut to me when it comes to it's intimidating, right? Yeah, where do you start? It is where yeah, exactly. Like it, so, with this series, would you say that it's an easy uh, you know entry one thousand percent because it takes ten. It, you need to know it takes all. ten years before it, it takes place ten years before the original series, which also credit to everybody that's doing this now, where it's like, yeah, we they they kind of stick to the aesthetics of the original series. However, they do like a modern update where it's like the 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 you got the uniforms that have like the distinct colors, but like it's like if you try to like do Trek ten years before Trek. It's like then the sets would look like garbage and you like the special effects would be terrible. Okay. But it's like with this, it's like it's 10 years before the original series. You got Captain Pike, who's played by Anson Mount, uh, who is just he is just lights out awesome. Um, but it's like so you get you get Spock in there. You get Ahura before like you know, there. So you get a little bit of legacy characters going forward. If you don't know one thing, if you don't know anything about other Star Trek, but you watch this you're going to have a lot of fun with it. And okay. it's like, and it's just, um, it's just, I don't know, like somehow it's like, it can have quips and fun and also still have storylines with stakes. And it, it's like, like um, discovery when it first came out, it was like, it's going to be game of Thrones, but star Trek. And it's like, yeah, you just fell on your keys really hard there. Cause I don't need that. You know, like I've just enjoyed strange new worlds. It's kind of given, it's one of those things. It's like, it's not nostalgia, but it's like, it's like, Oh shit. You figured it out again. You know what, how to, I don't know how to describe it. It's like, oh yeah, this is why I love Trek. And I've, I've just, I've adored it. It's been a lot of fun. So Steve, you, you talk now. <laughs> yeah. I'm, I was just going to say, I haven't watched it. I, I recently acquired, um, information that'll get me to Paramount <laughs> plus. Uh, so I, uh, I, I am excited to see it. Yeah. I, I have not really. All right. So, even what little new Trek that I've watched, uh, which, you know, was one or two episodes of lower decks and, uh, the first season of Picard, um, there was nothing there that it was like, Oh yeah, you know, I'm, I'm, they're really messing this up. I didn't enjoy the way lower decks started. I know that you swear that it gets better. Oh, it does, I mean, Yeah, um, it does get better. The first, like those two seasons are solid. You should check it out. It's a lot more fun. Yeah. Um, you know, but even, you know, even Picard, which again, it wasn't like I walked away from it going like, oof, that was terrible or, oh, they shouldn't have done that. But, uh, I mean, well, there were decisions <laughs> that they made that I'm like, yeah, they shouldn't have done that. Yeah. Right. Um, yeah. But, you know, I was still, you know, it wasn't like I felt like it was a waste of time watching it or something like that. So, um, I, I don't have like I I haven't watched Discovery. I know some people say that it gets better, which is funny. I'm like, oh, I, they say it gets better, but I've never even seen it. I don't know. I've maybe watched two seasons and it does get better. Start, I, it, it does get better, but I had a hard time being like, oh, there's more. Like I don't know, but anyway. And you know, as a guy who who I don't know, I I kind of liked the idea that the Kelvin universe existed in the sense that like when they made the Abrams Trek films. Uh, I guess the third one he's, he's just produced, but um, you know, when they made those movies and they're like, it's going to be like, how do I put this? Uh, not so much where they were like, well, we can't just retell it. We're going to make small changes. And then they create this entire other timeline that is, you know, just right before Kirk's time. 
I liked the fact that they gave them the freedom to take some bold chances in that first movie. Like, I liked the fact mm-hmm. that they were like, let's put Spock and her in a, in a relationship. You know, like, we've not seen that before. That'll be an interesting dynamic to explore. Uh, you know, what happens if we destroy Vulcan? You know, what happens if, you know, Kirk isn't really even supposed to be the captain on his first ship? Like, it, I, I liked all that stuff. So, um, I don't know. I... I I don't want to say that, uh, you know, the last 20 years of track have, have just been kind of stale, but to hear people this excited about, this is a, that was a very long way for me to get to. I know people are really excited about this and what you just said is kind of what I feel like is missing from track. So, um, I, 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 who knows, we may be doing a review of it. If I can, if I can dig into it soon, um, maybe we can get to it in the future. I no, mean, I, not that we can't get to it in the future, but I meant the immediate no, for sure. future. No, but like what I'll say is that uh, Discovery Season 2 got better because um, they brought in um, Anson Mount as Pike to kind of help with Discovery. Like, like, So there's a whole thing that was going on there where at one point he was like, let's just have some fun. I'm like, thank you. Thank you to Star Trek that we can have fun again. But yeah, he is amazing as Pike. Um, and then Nurse Chapel, who um, is a character that just showed up in the original pilot for Star Trek, the original series, and then also that was called The Cage. And then when they did the two-parter in the original series called The Glass Menagerie, I, I, maybe I'm getting this flipped, they show her for a second. The character, that's the actress playing Nurse Chapel in the series, there's a bit in the first episode where somebody just ends up running away from sickbay, and they're like, She's like, I got to go catch him. And they're like, okay. And she's just smiling as she's running through all Enterprise trying to chase this guy down. It's like she kind of like lives for like the adrenaline rush of just being like, oh, I get to go chase somebody. This will be fun. I'm like, oh, crap. Star Trek, you can make me smile and we can have fun here. You know, like <laughs> it's it just give it a chance. Like they, they like, um, do you remember like this, the next generation episodes where it'd be like, oh, it's all of us on the holodeck and we're doing like pirate shit or like a Sherlock Holmes story. Yeah. Um, there's one episode in the season where something weird happens where they end up in a children's book setting but it's on the ship, like a fantasy story. And so uh-huh. like you go through the decks, you see like Ivy and trees and torches and like, and most of the crew have no idea that they're part of like they're part of the story, but they don't know they're being affected by what's going on. It's like, that's classic Trek to me. And it's a lot of fun, you know? So, um, you should check it out. I'm not going to go on super long about it. Like, well, I guess we are, but, um, I, I got caught up on it. I, I mean, I, I've still got two episodes to go. Um, I, I am enjoying this way more. I was expecting to, and that seems to be the reaction for most people. Okay. Yeah. I'm, <laughs> I'm happy to dig into it. And, uh, like I said, if I, if I, if it, you know, if I'm singing its praises here in a little, uh, in a few weeks, maybe we can, we can dip in and talk if, about, or you'd be like, Paul, that was a waste of my goddamn time. Why would you even talk about <laughs> it? This the is the three hours. You're like, we'll there's, there's only, <laughs> There's only one star in my life and it's followed by war and you've chosen, <laughs> you've chosen war, Paul. We're going to talk about that. Yeah. No. It's going to be civil war on the next step. <laughs> yeah. It's going to be just a bunch of just us. Steve and I will never like that's it. It's Tony Stark and, uh, you know, Captain America. But, uh, the other things <laughs> I want to mention just real, real, real quick here is, um, um, things that happened to me today. Uh, so, I recently, because I'm bad about finishing video games, I finally dug into the Spider-Man Miles Morales game that I got like a year ago. Finished it as of last night. A lot of fun. Really, like it, it was a basically Steve just to explain. There was a Spider-Man game that came a couple years ago 
that they made a continuation to with Miles Morales. They took the game engine, they took the assets and made it into a, another game. So it wasn't a sequel. It was kind of like a continuation. Um, like they couldn't call it a sequel because they didn't do anything different than update a little bit of it, but you got to play miles and it was a really good story. A lot of fun. I finished it last night. I'm like, I'm going to just go trade this in and go grab, um, there's an, um, another company put out a Guardians of the galaxy game. I'm like, I'll go grab, grab that too. As I grab some games to go to GameStop uh, to go trade it in, the the joke with my wife, Mary and I, every time we go out to go do something like that, they're like, get a PS5. I'm like, yeah, yeah, that's not going to happen because uh, they're not available. People scalp them and it's so hard to find. I go into this GameStop today and I was like, hey, do you have PS5? He's like, yeah. And I'm like, what? Like, I just didn't expect the response. Like, it's like you call the bluff and then the bluff gets called. You're like, well, here's my credit card. <laughs> I would have <laughs> like, been like, <laughs> Cool. Yeah. Thanks. <laughs> and then walk out the door because I'm like, because <laughs> that's above my pay grade. <laughs> uh, no, it's like it's one of these. It's like we like it's like we've talked for a while. It's like, well, if one's available, just buy it, you know. But the guy's like, yeah, we have a bundle. It's a Spider-Man bundle, so you get Miles Morales. I'm like, I just finished that yesterday. I don't need another Spider-Man game. He's like, well, it comes with the original one. I'm like, yeah, I played that one too. Like, I'm like, are you gonna try to sell me? I literally just traded in a copy of the game and you're going to try to sell me a bundle that has the same game. But anyway, I just, I was like, I would have been like, if that's the only one you got, I guess I'm on Spider-Man again, you know, whatever. But he, like he found a different bundle they had there. I'm like, all right. So this is the one time in my life where finishing a game actually paid off. Like finally finishing a game. Cause if I had not taken the time to finish the game, I would have not have found this PS five to buy. So now I own a PS five a year and a half after the system came out. People are like, well, you didn't get one by now. I'm like, yeah, because I'm not going to chase every, like, I don't, there's like, you could follow social media accounts for restocks and things that pisses me off. It was released, you know, a year and a half ago. I should be able to walk into a Best Buy and just buy it. You know what I mean? Like, it just that just pisses me off. Where it's like, oh, everybody comes in and buys them the day that there's a restock. I'm like, I'm not paying a scalper. I don't. They, that pisses me off. I feel like I'm in that weird middle part of being a gamer because i'm like i like a lot of old school games but i'm not like primarily an old school gamer and i don't have any of the new games so so it's like i feel like i'm shunned in both that's uh, fair friend groups where like yeah yeah you you you, you're on the ps uh you know friend group whatever it's like let me send you my thing i was like but i don't own a playstation 5 or whatever (laughs) and they're like Boo. And what, like, well, what am I supposed no, to do? I, just, I, I shouldn't spend half of my <laughs> my my day every day trying to ch- chase down a video game system. I'm sorry I, I like food. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I'm sorry I like not worrying about Twitter feeds of where I can find a game system. And like cutting tarp and laying it over my body <laughs> like I'm Rambo. Yeah, you know, like, you're waiting hide in the forest. Yeah, and like, oh, there's a restock near the Walmart. I guess I would have wait, you know. <laughs> yeah. So I, I just wanted to mention that like my, my one time I actually finished a game the night before. And I'm like, oh, I guess I'm done with this. I guess I'll trade in. Oh, shit. There's this system I can buy like that. That was kind of like kismet. It was weird. So I faked out my wife. Steve, you appreciate this. Cause like, uh, I was leaving and, and, and my wife, Mary's like, buy me something cool. And then I bought like these like chocolate, like s'more stuffed, like marshmallows at the grocery store. And I came in, I was like, here you go. Here's your something cool. She's like, Oh, that's nice. And I'm like, and this too. And I dropped the PlayStation in front of her. She's like, Oh, and I'm like, you don't care about the marshmallows anymore, I guess. Um, yeah. <laughs> But yeah, I just, it was one of those things where I'm like, oh, I wasn't expecting to, we had just paid down our credit card. I don't know if that was a sign to charge it up again, but I did. I'm wondering if you like, like the credit card company was like, wait, wait, what? Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. It's like, oh, thank you for that payment. And you did what now? I'm like, yeah, I know. Anyway, so, (laughs) 
So Steve, I, I'm, yeah, go ahead. I'm please. curious. I'm sorry to interrupt. Yes. I don't even know. Uh, you know, I'm even further behind than than. Uh, well, there was a system after Super Nintendo and Sega Genesis <laughs> called a PlayStation, and this is the fifth iteration. I don't know if you know that or not. That, um, so my wrong about way of saying that uh, I'm far more out of it than Terry. Uh, I'm just curious. What does the PlayStation Five retail for? Um, I don't know. I mean, I really, I really don't want to get into how much I spent today on the system. Um, <laughs> no, no, well, you no, don't have to no, tell me no. what you spent. It's, just it's, like, it's, is there like an advertised, you know, price? Well, the bundle I got. So there's two different types. One has a disc drive. One doesn't. Um, but meaning like oh, you could okay. put a disc in and it's like, and that's the one I got. Cause I'm like, I like, cause I asked him like, can you like, cause even though I do buy a lot of game digitally, digitally now, it's like, I don't want to be limited to just digital purchase. Right. And also it's like, it's a media system. So if I want to put a Blu-ray in, let me put a Blu-ray in, you know, like, I don't want to be like, all right, I guess I can't use the PlayStation. It's just, it feels weird to me. I thought you would just like handed to do to Hundo and you're like, yeah, can you just mod that in the back yeah. real quick? Can you weld something on there? Can you please do that? No. Um, no, it's like, so there's one without a disc drive, which is cheaper. And then there's one with a disc drive, um, that is a little bit more expensive. Um, it, so they retail for North of 500, right? Okay. However, however, um, I spent more than that. Uh, I'll just say that, but there's a bundle that came with additional controller, a gift card, which is funny because it's like, oh, this bundle has a gift card to GameStop. I'm like, well, I guess I got to use it here, which I didn't do that today. Uh, the bundle, the, the the box itself came with a game. Like, and I was like, is it a digital download or a physical copy? I asked that question because that's important. Know, that's valid, right? And it's like, no, it's a physical game. I'm like, cool. And then two other games. So like, so I ended up getting like two, like two additional games, a controller, a gift card, a, a charging station too, for yep. like external charging station for both controllers. Um, and that's like, all right, well just take my money. That's fair enough, you know, type of thing. So I'm happy with the purchase. One of the games that came with like the bundle, I'm going to keep in the plastic and just trade it in later. Like, like, cause I, like, it's like battlefield 2042. I have no interest in dying a lot by other people. <laughs> um, I'm good. Like I play Overwatch and I die enough there. I don't need to go into like this precision like military game where people are like, "Oh, I just shot you from halfway through the other Battlefield game that's not even out yet." You know, like whatever. Um, so no, but it's one of those things where I like, found it in the wild, bought it, um, and yeah, and I'm also this is going to be great because God of War Ragnarok's coming out the end of the year, so and it's only going to be on PS5, so like I'm ready now, so I'm happy for that. So that's what I got to say about that. So anyway, Steve, there's a PlayStation five, which is like four more than you, I think, than you knew. Okay. Thank you. <laughs> I, I appreciate you. No. So the story I want to tell you, this, this is just, so I went to the grocery store after that. I'm like, you know, I spent a lot of money on the credit card. I should probably go to the grocery store now. You're like ramen noodles. Yeah. Right. <laughs> yeah. So I was buying a bunch of potatoes just to, to cut up. No, <laughs> no. So I bought a bunch of things. And so while I was in line, the guy, the, the guy in front of me was like paying for whatever. Right. And the, there's a woman that was in line too. She had a magazine open for the magazine, like section by the, the register. And she's like, you go on ahead. I'm like, you're just sitting here like at the end of the conveyor belt looking through a magazine. I'm like, I don't, I'm like, I don't know what the, the hell's going on. I almost said the F word, but I was like, what, what is going on here? Steve, here's what she did. She was with the guy finishing his transaction. Um, she was opening a magazine to find a specific recipe and took a photo of it with her phone. She's like, I'm not going to buy this whole thing just for one recipe. I'm like, really? 
That's that's actually pretty clever. It, I don't know if it's clever. I, it's just like you're being very blatant about being an asshole is what you're being. Well, just, no. I, I, <laughs> remember back in the day, if you were to even crack a magazine at a, a you know a bookstore, or a magazine shop, or whatever, they'd be like, "You need to buy that." Yeah, like, but I this poor girl days. that's working the checkout, like she can't like be like, "Hey, you're just stealing shit like with your phone." But it's like also like. Like she's in, like this person's inconvenience me because like I don't know about you guys but like when I go to the checkout I try to I try to think ahead about like what would be the easiest thing for the cashier and for bagging and it's like I got this weird thing and I'm like I guess I'm just dropping everything all over especially where I'm like now where they're charging you for paper bags which is fine I'm like completely fine that's the penalty I got to pay for not preparing right you know and the world yeah. needs to start yeah, healing a, a thousand percent <laughs> right. But I just, I'm just like, really? Like, you're gonna like back up the line because you got to open a magazine and take a photo of one recipe, and that's like, have you ever? You're using a smartphone. Can't you just go on the internet and find that same shit? Like, I don't know. Are, don't they have a like still have a magazine like they aisle do. too? So like, she could have gone there. Yeah, and it's like perhaps. that. And you could also take in photos of all the guns and ammo magazines that you know, like you know, like you know, to be like, oh, that that's a thing now I can do. Cool. Well, she also has a membership, so why would she do that? I don't know. It just <laughs> subscription. <laughs> I was just like, I've like I've been annoyed in like infinite number of ways in the grocery store, and I'm like, I can't. I, I was surprised today. I found a new way to be annoyed in the grocery store as someone deliberately holding up things so they could take a photo of a recipe in a magazine and then put that back and and then audibly say out loud i'm not buying the whole magazine for that one recipe and i'm like well <laughs> also feels like the people that put this together that were getting paid to put this out and you didn't buy it then you didn't honor the promise of the magazine i don't know it feels weird to me that'd be like me going through and like cat fancy i'm like there's a cat photo there's a cat photo a cat photo i don't you know i don't need this magazine for all these cat photos bloop you just put it right back you know I don't know. Like, oh, I'm just going to drink this one beer out of a six pack. I'm not going to buy the whole thing and just put it back. I don't know. It just feels weird to me. I don't know. I just thought I thought you guys would appreciate my exasperation of like, thanks. Thought I had to be witness to this. I, I'm just glad that we're having a continuance of your problems at the grocery store and other <laughs> shops because I felt like because of the the mandates being lowered that you just weren't going to have any more stories. No, no. Um, <laughs> yeah. well, am I am I the problem? Is that? No, uh, I just like. Did like, I be, did I become the Joker from the Walking Phoenix film? <laughs> <laughs> just like the ongoing sagas of your life. Like I, there was just like a period of time listening to your guys' episodes. I was like, where where did Paul go shopping this week? <laughs> like, what problems did he encounter? I just I don't know, man. Like maybe I feel like I just what was it? Um, uh, this the the week we over the weekend we went to Sam's Club to buy some stuff. Uh, and then, um, I ended up going to, to Walmart immediately after. Cause like Sam's club's like, Hey, great. Do you want to buy a bucket of relish? And I'm like, no, I don't need a bucket of relish. I just need a little bit of relish. I don't need, I don't need one year's worth of relish right now. Thank you. <laughs> you know, like you go in there, you're like, Hey, did you want ketchup for life? I'm like, no, I think I'm good <laughs> for a second. You know? Uh, so anyway, Sam's club was kind of busy, but then I went to Walmart, which was like infinitely more busy. And it was like <laughs> the entire time I'm just like, just be calm. It's a Saturday. It's Saturday, like a week and a half before a major holiday. It'll be fine. I'll be fine. I'm like the entire time, but it's like, I have no problem with being busy. Uh, and, and I forgive me, everybody. Like, like, I, I don't know why I feel like I've like, and Terry and I talked about this. So it was uh, off, off, offline when, before we were recording strange highways. I, there's times where I like, it's like, I feel like Michael Douglas's character from falling down, not, not in like the hateful, 
You know, like that guy's an asshole, but there's times where I go into places and I'm just like, <sighs> you know, like, cause it's like, be busy. And I understand, but like, I don't, I, I, there's a problem with like people, like we're all together. They're trying to shop for just pizza rolls or whatever, but be aware when you move a cart down an aisle, like you don't need to park it in the middle and just stare at shit. Like you could park it off to the right. It's fine. It's fine. You know, be a good neighbor. That's all I'm asking. You weren't carrying a Mac 10 though, right? No, no, I no, 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 no. I'm not Michael Douglas going into a, like a McDonald's or a Burger King. Whammy Burger. Yeah, Whammy Burger. Was- yeah. <laughs> no, 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 no. Like I just, I'm just, it's one of those things where I'm just like, we're like, none of us wants to be here. Let's just agree. Like nobody actively wants to be at a Walmart. I don't know. At dude. Ever time, at any time ever in their lives. I don't know. Okay. Fair enough. Well, I don't know. Um, <laughs> I debate that. The majority (laughs) of us never want to be at a Walmart at any time. Just can you just open the aisle up for the rest of us? That's all I'm asking. That is that fair? I think it's fair, right? All right. I guess I I guess I'm that guy. I apologize for being that guy. (laughs) (laughs) Just like wanted to poke the bear a little bit more. You're just enjoying it. Thank you, Steve. Thank you (laughs) for showing up now after like a week away. I, you know, it's 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 going to be Apple season soon, and no, like, no, we're going to get no, a whole bunch no. of content about you Apple. You shut your theory. goddamn mouth, dude! I was looking out the window. I was like, "Grow, my little friends." <laughs> no, th- yeah, Terry's at the house, and he's like, you know, like he looks out, and he's like calling out these things like they're Audrey too. I'm like, "Don't do that! Do not do that!" You know, like, unless you want to come pick them up later, Terry. You're hey, welcome to come. Hey, after buying that PS5, you're going to have plenty of things to eat now. Like, no. <laughs> Robins and apples. Robins and apples. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Carbs and sugars. It's exactly what I need. Uh, anyway, yeah, that's you exactly. Sure, it'll take care of the rest. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Until the end. how much for a right foot? Can you pay me off? It's Until fine. the yeah. government gets involved. Again. Yeah, my my body. Well, I mean, I am just a white male. I can do whatever I want, right? That's uh. Cool. Oh, oh. That speaking of that, <laughs> bad segue. Bad, yeah, bad segue. A white, white <laughs> really bad segue. Um, I did watch Beavis and Butthead do the universe over the weekend. Please don't talk about it because I have not seen it yet. And you've been telling me about this, but I didn't know. I, was, I did want to. No, Steve, since you may or may not know somebody has access to Paramount Plus, um, <laughs> yes. you should check this out because it's actually, it, it's, it's, you, you might be like, I don't know if they can, like, if it's going to be, it, it's funny. And it's like, you know, it may not, like, Beavis and Butthead do America was like kind of like its own thing. And it's like, it was a zeitgeist for what it was. This one's really funny, but there's a whole bit like brief aside where they learn about white privilege um, and it just how that like turns sideways because it's Beavis and Butthead is really, really funny. Mike Judge, <laughs> Mike Judge knows how to bring them, them being idiots and still being faced with like what's going on and how they take the wrong lessons from things. That's, that's all I'll say. It's like, it's like 90 minutes. I enjoyed it a great deal. Everybody should, like you, if you like Beavis and Butthead, please check it out. It's a lot of fun. I, I will check it out. I I uh, I don't know if you're telling me to check it out or the audience, and then I'm like, do I respond to that? Yeah. Well, you just I told will. me you enjoyed me talking, so you're the audience now, right? <laughs> no. I enjoy your ranting. Actually, I think that's <laughs> Is it ranting. No, I think I think it's I think it's um, <laughs> I think it's wisdom. I think it's um, observation of wisdom that I uh, bring out. To be. It's I, not a rant. I I, can, I honestly feel like I can hear your fists shaking at the sky sometime. <laughs> When I listen to your guys' <laughs> podcast, uh, 
Like it's a Morocco. Yeah. Like, uh, <laughs> that should be the new sound bite when you throw it in there. Like, oh. all right. Oh, that's your new segment. Yeah. No, no, I'm good. Oh, yeah. So, all right. It's been it's been too long. Uh, are you guys ready to talk about some uh, Christine? Are you guys good? Steve, yep. Steve, you good? All right. So we're gonna we're gonna do this, and then I'm gonna do the feature thing, and then we'll do the trailer. The this is a teaser trailer for the movie. I'm just gonna say I've never heard this before until today. It gets a little weird. So here we go. We're gonna get into uh, you're a carpenter talking about Christine. And now for our feature presentation. She is seductive. She is passionate. She is possessive. She is pure. Evil. She is Christine. A 1958 Plymouth Fury, possessed by hell. Her previous owner is not alive to warn her present one. Once she lures you behind the wheel, you will be hers, body and soul. There is no place you can hide, no place you can run, and nothing you can do can stop her. Because how do you kill something that can't possibly be alive? Christine. Body by Plymouth. Soul by Satan. So, Steve, I think I heard you uh, You uh, had some opinions about the, the trailer going into it. <laughs> I, I just uh, that I mean, look, it's actually a pretty great, like you know, the way it's it's performed. Like you don't get trailers like that anymore. I guess I guess I'm just nostalgic for like you know, I don't know. I, I don't want to say crazy ass trailers, but kind of crazy ass trailers. Like I, I love the guy reading it the way that he does. I mean, it's it's that that voice and just hearing it like she said, "Damn!" And I'm like, "What? Wait, all right." I guess I'm in. <laughs> okay, fair enough. I just you, I heard you. I heard you uh, try not to laugh. That's what made me laugh. So uh, <laughs> I'm trying not to laugh. Dude. <laughs> yeah, but like the actual teaser trailer, if you watch it, it's like you see like all these like lines and like whatever. It's like eventually you figure out it's a car, and you're like, ooh, you know. I, I felt like if this was a description of a book, that somehow Fabio would still be on the cover <laughs> of it. Like, <laughs> yeah. even though it's talking about a, a, like a. Like a girl car, yeah. <laughs> girl car, but the Fabio be driving it. Yeah. So, <laughs> all right. So, yeah, uh, 1983's uh, Christine. Let me let me at least. Um, so, um, we've been doing. The, hopefully, we've been doing justice in terms of like going from one movie to another in terms of Carpenter's career. We just talked about the thing, um, which was a eventual artistic uh, success, but it was not it was not commercially a success, and it like it kind of. Not blacklisted Carpenter, but it gave him a black eye in terms of like um, Hollywood. So we know that, and he eventually took his money and bought a helicopter, which I appreciate. Uh, but then, so at the main, at the same time, he was prepping a, a uh, Stephen King adaptation of Firestarter, which they kept like slashing the budget, and he walked away from, got paid, and that's when he bought the helicopter. So we're coming from him, like probably his like the most control he's ever had over a project that he cared about. 
and nobody gave him any credit and it didn't do well at the box office. So he's, this is a dark moment for him. So I want to at least lay the groundwork here. The, the, the book I use all the time that makes me sound smarter than I am is Assault of the System, uh, the non-conformist cinema of John Carpenter by uh, Troy Howarth. So here we go. So let's get into this before we get into cast and crew. Um, by the start of 83, Carpenter was desperate to find another project. He felt as if he'd been rejected by the very people who were so eager, eager to ride on his coattails when his films were making money. It was a tough lesson and one that helped uh, to toughen his ad- attitude and resolve even further. That's fair. Um, so he was other projects is working on. Steve, you'll find this interesting. He was working on an adaptation of the novel, the ninja um, that eventually okay. became uh, enter the ninja, but that Canon produced <laughs> with Franco Nero being the Texas guy with his voice dubbed. Think about that for a second. <laughs> like I thought that was amazing. It's like, we were so close to getting a carpenter ninja film and they're like, Canon's like, nah, Hold my really cheap beer. We're going to make it. We're going to do that. Uh, so anyway, um, so uh, Stephen King's novel, Christine, which had not been published yet. It was it was still in what they call it in galley, gallery. Um, somebody actually uh, picked it up. It was actually one of, um, oh, what's the gentleman's name? Corbett's who had worked with, um, who had worked with um, um, Carpenter before that got him the job for Somebody's Watching Me, the, the made for TV film got the rights to this and was like, Hey Carpenter, you should do this. So, um, and this was kind of a thing where, uh, after Corbett's actually had success, he produced uh, Salem's lot in 79 with Toby Hooper. Right. So Corbett's kind of had, he knew King was going to be a hot commodity and King was kind of starting to rock it up. Like it was, just, he was on like this meteoric rise. Right. And to have a film being made of a book that wasn't published yet, that's a big deal. I think that like, we still hear about that now, Every so often there's like deals about this, but this is kind of a big deal. So, um, and even this time too, Deborah Hill and, um, uh, Carpenter had actually separated, right. In terms of like, they're going to do their own things. Hill, she would go over and actually produce, um, Cronenberg's the dead zone that would come out after this. So I just want to point that out as well. Um, so, um, Carpenter at this time was still known in the horror community and King was up and rising. So like putting them together, Seemed like a, a solid choice. And I would agree with that as well. Um, so, uh, but Carpenter had misgivings and he was concerned about the conceit that a car being controlled by a rotting corpse of its original owner, he was, he was worried that it would become like this retread of American werewolf in London, where the main character was being followed around by his buddy who was killed and f- like rotting away. So mm-hmm. I think that's fair. I think that's a valid concern, right? It, it's a very valid concern yeah. because it was what, two years prior to this? Yeah. 81. Yeah. yeah, you're right. So he's like, I wasn't sure about a haunted car movie. I don't know if I could make it interesting and scary. So, but he was really not in a, an ideal position to be choosy. <laughs> so I think that's fair. Like, you know, like he's given, he, this is an opportunity brought to him versus him seeking it out. So he's like, for the first time in my life, I made a movie. I didn't have a feeling for, um, so um, meaning that this is his first time being a gun for hire to make a movie. Uh, I just also hear before we get into other things here, want to mention that um, Bill Phillips was the screenwriter on this. He and Carpenter kind of kicked around some ideas before to this. They actually had like a working relationship. Only time they're going to work together. Um, but Phillips actually wrote the screenplay for this, and Carpenter's like, "Yeah, you know how to write characters and write dialogue. Let's just get this going on." So that's where we're at with this. We'll get into some more of the actual production. Uh, notes here in a minute, but I want to at least provide the groundwork for where we're coming into this, where 
Carpenter kind of got kicked in the dick over the thing. And he was like, where do I go next? And why not this? After Firestar fell apart, he was like, well, all right, here's another one. How do I make this scary? So that that's the context. But it's Christine. If people have not seen this, um, you should. I don't know how people have not seen this film. Like, I feel like this is of, of Carpenter's work. I think this is probably the most commercial. Like you might be like, the thing is very popular, but this feels like the most studio friendly picture he's ever made. And maybe you guys can disagree with me on that, but I, that's what I feel like. That might be a fair statement. Uh, Cause uh, this is paramount. Uh, and they, they saw that this dude was able to bring money or no, was it Columbia? I don't, I, I forget who I, actually, I, you know, I, uh, yeah. well, let me, I'll find this out in a second. Uh, uh, locating, locating Steve, you talk about it, something for a it, second. It is paramount. I'm sorry. Okay, yeah. Um, wait, Columbia, it is Columbia. I'm sorry. Yeah. So yeah, Columbia, like they were taking a big chance on this guy who had a really good movie, a big miss. And then it's like, well, it's a Stephen King is a hot commodity. Yeah. So 1983 was a huge year for Stephen King adaptations. Just side note here. We had Cujo, we had The Dead Zone, and we had Christine. But Christine came out first before the, both of them. Correct. Yes. But yes. It, it was it was a big year for, for, you know, Stephen King adaptations. So with that in mind, you know, like knowing that, you know, Stephen King had something like Carrie and Shining come out. It's like, well, if we can get this dude back mm-hmm. in the right frame of mind, like make, look what we did with Halloween. You know, Halloween was such an incredible movie. And, um, you know, in its own right, Halloween 2 was a good movie too. His name was attached. I know he didn't direct it, but it's like, so like we have two horror film juggernauts here. What could happen from this? So like taking that chance, it makes sense, you know. It's a good calculated risk. I'll say that, yeah. So, um, so that that's the context, context, right? So, um, um, Steve, I know you. Unfortunately, unfortunately, you've been tied to um, the other king for your entire life. Um, <laughs> yeah, and and I know, I know that's the joke that family said hi. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> No, I just, I know you get tired of it, dude. I, I just, I like, how do you shoulder that? That's why I'm always thankful that Paul Ryan never became the vice president of the United States. Cause my middle name's Ryan. I'm like, God damn it. Like, I don't want, I, I just like the idea, like somebody has a name somewhere to mine would have been like, all right, well, that's game over, but you've dealt with this, like your entire existence. Um, like, you know, go ahead, please. So, okay. So, there's, there's, you know, it's not that terrible. I think, I think the hardest part about it is, is, is whenever somebody thinks like, and and there are people who will often make the joke and then immediately realize they're like, ah, I bet you hear that a lot. And I'm like, oh, yeah, I do. Um, You're dead you know. to me. You're so dead to me. Right <laughs> <now>. <laughs> you know, I, I would like to have somebody say something like super clever to me just once about my name, but it's usually, you know, that. <laughs> That first ex- experience, you know, and, oh, I bet you write a lot of books. The one that's always weird to me is, I bet you read a lot of books. I'm like, yeah, <laughs> I, I guess. Um, ask, ask my uh, older, less successful brother, Dean Koontz, about that. <laughs> but uh, it, it's, I mean, it's not, it, there are way more uh, worse things, you know, uh, to deal with. Uh, and and mm. look, uh, I'll say this. Uh, I said I wouldn't get political again. <laughs> Because I'm such a political person. 
But there happens to be another famous Steve King. Well, yeah, no, kind of a complete asshole. Yeah, but he and got he got I'm, removed I'm from much, office. Yeah, that's fair. <laughs> I'm much happier to at least be associated with the Stephen King horror author. Where it gets complicated is just the idea of like, oh, I want to do a horror comic book, and my name's Stephen King. Like, how do I get around that? So. Uh, well, also credit to you for integrity wise that you, your, your pen name, you, you did not try, like you didn't pull the, like the, oh, we have Stephen King at home. Like <laughs> that whole thing of like, I want to buy this new Stephen King book. Like we have that at home, but it's like, you didn't try to be like that. Um, like, you know, like, you know, my name buy my book. Like, you know, I'm, I spell my right. name different, but your grandparents don't know. Like, <laughs> Like you didn't, you know, credit to you that you tried to like carve your own way and not be like, you know, you're like, what's your name? John Lennon, but spelled like the cloth, you know, <laughs> like, <laughs> so credit to you. I, I appreciate that. You're like, I'm not going to, I'm not going to capitalize that. I have a similar sounding name, but uh, anyway, so um, what is your familiarity with Christine? Uh, I've, I've not read the book. Um, and you kind of got into the differences, uh, at the end of last episode when you were, uh, signing off with Richard. Um, so I, I was unaware that there were major differences between the book and, and the movie. But, um, when we were rewatching this last night for the show, uh, Kathy rewatched it. She's like, Oh, I really like Christine. And I was like, Oh yeah. She's like, you know, I don't think of this as a John Carpenter movie. I think of it as a Stephen King movie. I'm like, I feel like a lot of people think of it that way. I, I, and that's not to you know discredit Carpenter or anything like that, but I think because the book is associated with the movie, I think that they think you know it's very rare that you have a movie that you know there's a bigger name than John Carpenter on it, and it just happens to be that it is it's Stephen King. You know, um, I think the only person who probably got around that was Romero, because um, it always seemed to be tied hand in hand with those two. But uh, you know. I I've seen the movie, I don't know, a handful of times. Uh, and it's, but it's not something like I have like a nostalgia for, I think I was in high school first time I saw it. Um, but it was a movie that I was like, yeah, it's just okay. Uh, and, uh, there are various reasons as we go through it, uh, through the movie that I, that's, you know, where I kind of landed. But for, like I said, you know, earlier, the, the, Rewatching this movie, I had the most fun with it rewatching it last night than I have probably in every time that I've watched it. And um, I do think it's a way better movie than I gave it credit for, you know, say, I don't know, the last time I watched it before this might have been at least 10 years ago. So, okay, fair enough. So, so I'm starting to think that Richard needs to come back and be the permanent replacement. Oh, no, no. (laughs) (laughs) I mean, I love him to death, and we've been friends for years, but it's like, no, that's not fair. Baby, come back. <laughs> you can blame it all on Steve. Yeah, yeah, yeah. no, I, I like the idea that somehow I'm the guy that just takes co-hosts and just wastes them away, and just like <laughs> it's like, oh, uh, what was that? What was that? Um, the hunger. It feels like the hunger. Oh. Where I'm just like, like I just like, yeah. oh, hey, David, David Bowie, Bowie. Yeah. gone. We're done now. Which like, came out the same year. <laughs> no, 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 Ray no, no, Bowie. no. This is why. No, no. This was kind of like this is why we did this because. Like not only is like the thing one of my favorite movies of all time, and Halloween's one of Steve's favorite movies of all time, they're they're very foundational. And so like the whole thing would be like, let's get into like the other parts of it as well. And I think that's the this it's been the fun, and this has been like I can't wait for like I almost want to like 
like, like I, I was like, I've not said this like offline, but it's like, I almost kind of stretch this out to the next year because there's a lot of gaps that we're kind of leaving out. Like, why not just like make this the long form thing for like the next like year and a half? Cause there's other movies that we're about to like miss. Not that we need to get into the three hour Elvis miniseries that happened, you know, before this, but there's like a lot in here, but uh, this is why I want to get into this dive because like, this is one of those films, like my introduction to Stephen King, um, not this one, Joe let me meet Steve. And I was like, Oh, Hey. And I was like, Joe, and I just brought Steven at the coast. I'm kidding. That's not what happened. But Stephen King as an author, as a writer was foundational in my household. Cause my mom loved, loved him. And you know, like, and that's the books I was introduced to. Um, and Christine's one of those books that's like, this is early enough in King's career that like, if I remember correctly and, and, and Terry, you can speak to this cause I know you're re-listening to the audiobook version of this. I know King always joked about like, wouldn't he like some of his ideas where it comes from. And I, I guess, uh, you know, we'll get into cast in a second. <laughs> Maybe, I don't know. That's what we do. Sometimes we just push everything off, but King always joked. He had, a, he, he says like, what if a kid fell in love with a car? He thought it was a funny idea and he starts writing about it. And then in his brain, things go like South in a hurry. <laughs> You know, and so what was supposed to be like a joke becomes like this really dark book. And, um, and somehow like, like this, this era of King, which I know that he was, you know, an alcoholic and like a cocaine user and, you know, like, like there, there's some dark roads he travels and all of this. Right. But Christine somehow punches through. And I've always loved, it's one of the few, like, I don't read books over and over again. I don't know. Like it's a lot. It's like a lot of this one's like, I read it already. And then I'm like, I liked it. And then 20 years later, I'm like, why did I like it? I just remember having like a passing memory about a thing. Uh, but you're listening to the audiobook again. I don't know how many times you've actually got into this book, Terry, but, um, I know you're actively engaged with it right now. Uh, in a sense, uh, from front to back once, uh, I'm at chapter 51, uh, of the like re- listening to it just to prepare for this again because I want it I think that this movie deserves that extra bit of layering to content um, it's I think it's an incredible book and it's definitely worth a read at some point mm-hmm. and for my opinion definitely worth a second read because there are so many things that are going on in this book themes that are like being I, I, I think the themes are still there in the movie but the layering of those themes is so much more prevalent in the book itself. And, you know, like I understand the adaptation that um, Carpenter did here and the rewrites that they did. It, it it makes complete sense. But there is times that some people will say to me, and I just had this conversation recently with a dude. He said, yeah, the book is better. I'm like, but it's still the it's still the story you yeah know, it's it, still it really it's the meat of the story yeah, yeah. so I'll, I'll i'll jump off that for a second so i'll just say that and this is be worthy of conversation further here that this is one of the few times where and steve you could speak to this too where sometimes like oh the source material is better than the movie or the movie's better than the source material this is one of the few times in my life where i feel like both stand on their own i agree with you completely and i don't and it's like like what they took away from to make the movie work makes the movie work beautifully. And the book by itself works beautifully. Like it's like, it's almost as if like when Cooper was making the shining, if he would have actually given a shit for a second about what was going on and like, Oh, that could the, the shining. Like, I'm, you know, Steve and I've talked about this previously. It leaves us cold 
I guess pun intended, but um, it's <laughs> like, but it's like one of those things where it's like, oh, this could have been something because there's so much mastery in that. But then I love the shining the books so much where it's like they could have existed together. And I feel like Christine, the book and Christine, the movie do can coexist and they don't, they're not the same thing, but it's like, oh, here, I'll, I'll, I'll give an example that Steve, you can relate to. Um, whenever people talk to Mike Magnolia about Hellboy, the first two Hellboy movies, he's like, that's uh, Del Toro's thing. And we talked, they're different than the comic. It's its own thing and it should exist on its own like feet, right? That's kind of mm-hmm. the same thing too, where it's like, I love the Golden Army, the sequel, right? And I, like, I know you, you, you and I have had talks about Magnolia's artwork. I know I'm not a biggest fan, but I appreciate storytelling. I love those two Hellboy movies. Um, but they're different than the books and that, that doesn't, that, that shouldn't be a negative and that shouldn't be a reduction of, you know what I mean? Like, I think there's something to be said there. So anyway, maybe I'm putting the cart before the horse here, you know? Um, but I think Christine, the book, which Steve, we'll get into the more in this a second, you'll appreciate some of the changes. Cause there's some, there are some fun changes, especially at the end. There's a significant change about the confrontation between the car and a certain vehicle involved that is completely different from the movie in the book. Um, but yeah, like, so uh, I, I, all right. Is this where we got to get in the cast? I should probably get in the cast. We should get in the cast. It's only been what, seven hours. Now we're into this episode. Steve, you want me to do cast? I know, I know you always want to make sure that we talk about who's who. Yeah, you can go ahead right. and, uh, uh, do that if you All want. Right. We have uh, Keith Gordon as Arnie. We have uh, John Stockwell as Dennis. Alexandra Paul as Lee, and her twin showing up at some point in the movie. <laughs> uh, Robert Prosky as Darnell because you can't polish a turd. Henry Dean Stanton as Junkins. Uh, we have uh, Christine Belfort as Regina Cunningham, and her IMDb photo is her on a horse. I appreciate that. Roberts Blossom as was it Charles LeBay? I think it's it's him or his brother. LeBay is his last name. Um, William Ostrander is Buddy. He wants to stab yogurt like nobody else. Uh, we also have Malcolm uh, Denaria, Denaria is Moochie. Uh, Stephen Tash is Rich. Uh, and uh, Stuart Charno is Vandenberg. They're the other two members of the group. Um, and then that's that's about it. Like There's other people here too, but that's your main. Okay, we also, well, sorry, we have Douglas Warnett as, as Bemis. Did <laughs> is, you mention Kelly? Kelly Preston. Kelly Preston. Kelly Preston. Yeah, as Roseanne. Yeah. Sorry, you're right. She was the one that kept yeah. being overlooked <laughs> the entire yeah. time. And, yeah. And apparently you did it again. Oh, so. shit. Oh, quick, no. Yeah. A, a yeah. quick uh, a piece of, uh, uh, well, I, I was going to say piece of trivia, but I'm going to ask the trivia question. Stuart Charno, can you do to tell me which Friday the 13th he's from? He's in the first one. Paul? I'm going to defer to Terry. He's in the first one. He's at the bar with them. Yeah, but it's the second one. He's at the bar with Ginny, and he actually survives because he's oh. a yeah, Oh, wait, wait, wait. I'm, I'm terrible. Let me do one. Where are we at with this one of this? It wasn't especially large, but it felt hard. Extremely hard. I have no idea what that has to do with a failure, but I just want well, to play well, that. It's, so. Yeah, well, it's the I first did. Jason film, really. It's a, oh, oh, technicality. Look at that. <laughs> I was uh, I was only asking it because I remember when we went to the uh, um, the haunted dinner place that uh, wasn't that great in my opinion. 
Um, <laughs> the haunted house, like Cleveland. The, of it. the yeah, haunted dinner, it. I want to call yeah, it. Yeah, I like the idea. It's like we could have went to the Golden Corral and that would have fit appropriately what you're saying there. No. Uh, yeah. uh, but no, uh, Terry was very into the trivia contest. So I was like, oh, I'm going to hit Terry with a piece of trivia. See, yeah. you know. Yeah, you got uh, me. That, man. that was all. <laughs> well, all right. Well, he, the other film that I remember him as uh, from is uh, just one of the guys. So he's in that as well. So he was kind of a. a, a he was dude one of the guys. The 80s. Yeah. yeah, he was just one of the guys. He, he just walked around with uh, lizards. Lizard. Yeah. <laughs> and then Stephen da- uh, Tash, uh, he was from Ghostbusters, and I like that they're using his uh, his IMDb photo is from Ghostbusters. So. <laughs> and, and and actually, the guy who plays uh, Moochie, he was in. Um, uh, if I'm if I, if I'm wrong, please call me out. But he was in uh, Nightbreed. Let's let's check out here. Uh, he was in. Um, uh, oh, I'm gonna, I'm gonna scroll, uh, checking checking checking. Um, Nightbreed. I don't know. Well, I see here. Moochie was in. He was or, in uh, Godzilla. I'm sorry. Godzilla, the TV series. What? What? Uh, he was in um, Independence Day, Intellectual and Roof. He's in Popcorn. Popcorn. He was also in Robin Hood, Men in Tights. That cinematic cla- masterpiece there. Um, oh, I, I could have sworn that he was in. Um, well, I'm bad. Well, he's in Flashdance, so that's something. <laughs> that's, that's exactly what we were well, saying. Well, Popcorn. Yeah. But Popcorn is another like horror film, you know. Fair enough. Here. So while we're while we're on the topic of Moochie, though, um, can I just say uh, that one of the things that has not worn well uh, over time is is the idiot fat guy friend. Like I feel like. Do you, do you feel attacked? Is that what you're saying? I do. I, feel <laughs> I, do. Like, I was like. I was like, this guy's either a brilliant actor or he's just really an idiot in real life yeah. because. I just feel like there's this staple too, where it was like, if, if, you know, if the guy is fat, he's either got to be, uh, you know, the, the, the clown, like, um, you know, in Friday three, um, or if it's, you know, like Shelly in Friday three, or, you know, um, I can't think of the name of the one idiot in, uh, Oh, it's not night of the creeps, night of the demons, I think mm. it's night of the demons. Like there's always like a, just you know, a fat idiot friend. It seems like, or like, the or the like the fat meathead, whatever. Yeah, cause well, no, I, I no, think no. I, I know what you're talking about for Night of the Creeps. There's just like the meathead guy who's like, hey, there wasn't a call for me. No, no, yeah. but like it's always Saudi made a joke about how they're trying to do like this big party with all their friends. They're like, oh yeah, you're the fat funny guy. Like they call out the trope of that. <laughs> yeah, yeah, Moochie. You know, uh, that's, yeah, that's it, that's the character I hate in most storylines too. <laughs> I mean, he's not great in this. I mean, he's Moochie, right? Like it's. You know, he, um, he's, you know, whatever. Anyway. Likes to get a handful of balls. <laughs> yeah, right. <laughs> um, so yeah, that is the oddest move I think I've ever seen in a movie where it's like, and it's in I the know book what I'm going to do. I'm going to just grab him yeah. by the balls. Yeah. B- Bucci does it in the book, too. So, yeah. So, okay. Let's, like, the, the whole story is that, um, like, Arnie is like uh the pushover people bully him uh his parents like have he's that kid that like they they shove his expectations upon him um and like he just wants to like Artie's like he's very sympathetic that he just wants to be him but nobody lets him be him you know but like he and Dennis like you feel like their friendship feels valid and genuine through the movie where it's like Dennis is like the like the the popular football player like you know good looking dude like their dynamic, like they're they're best friends, but 
Arnie's been shit upon and Dennis is always there to kind of have his back. Right. And then, um, like there and, uh, was high school in 78 in California. Um, it's the first day, like, I, I don't know if they're like juniors or seniors or whatever. It's like, it's the first day of school then. Right. Things go bad. Um, uh, Arnie wants to go to shop class and actually use his hands. His parents think it's like, you know, Oh, that's like poor person work or whatever. Uh, Arnie gets uh, bullied by, uh, by buddy, uh, Ravel. Reppington. Reppington. Why did I say Ravel? Anyway, buddy Reppington and crew, including Moochie, you know, the funny fat guy, not so funny fat guy. And that, like his glasses get broken or whatever. It's terrible. A, a yogurt dies, uh, unceremoniously. Um, but on the way home, uh, they pass, uh, LeBay selling a 1958 Plymouth Fury that has seen better days. And Arnie is drawn to this car and he sells it for like probably more than it's worth. Arnie, Arnie's had a bad day too. Yeah. So like he's down in the dumps, it, like him sitting on a passenger seat. He looks like, like, I don't know. He's about to give up in general. Yeah, Keith Gordon is like the MVP of this whole movie. Like, oh, his, yeah. it's a masterclass, right, for him. But yeah, when he sees that car out that window, yeah. and like he looks through the driver's side window to see this thing, and I just I think it's such a cool scene. Yes, um, just seeing that hunk of junk sitting there, but it's like he's compelled, he's drawn to it. Like, what? Like, it's just something that is it's magnet to him yeah it just it calls to him um but yeah it's just it's a cool sequence right so that he gets he gets associated with christine because LeBay's like that's her name uh nothing better than the smell of a new car versus something we're not going to say out loud right now because that that quote is terrible and very stephen king and we're not going to give we're not going to say those words repeated many times in the book too Um, but yeah, so it becomes like Arnie with this, with Christine and, uh, they're, uh, for, together forever and, uh, mayhem ensues. Right. So, um, coming off of the, the financial failure of the thing, I almost, it almost feels like Kismet that Carpenter was chosen for this. Cause it's, it's, even though it's a larger town, it feels like, I guess in terms of the trivia where they shot this in California was actually like a lot of the same area that Halloween was shot. Um, but like he, he has like this notion, he has like a finger on the pulse of like small towns and like small, small interactions that are important to the characters. And he's like, how do I make a car scary? Well, like, is this car any, like, I'm going to put this to you, Steve. Is this car any out of, out, any more out of place than Michael Myers in a small town? Just like skulking around and like being like a, like making a beeline for its targets. I don't think they're that different from each other. Uh, no, I mean, I mean, other than one's a car and one's a human being, although to be fair, he is a shape, not a human being. So, <laughs> and the uh, car is that. a shape. It's a car shape, but anyway, continue. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but he, I totally get what you're saying. And I think it's a premise that you have to buy into. Like, um, so, I'll, you know, I don't know really the story of the book, but like, is there because like Christine's just born bad here. Is it the same way in the book? Like, cause I think that might be where some people maybe have an issue. If, if you're not in within that first, like five minutes in the movie where Christine essentially takes out two people, uh, and somehow still makes it out of the automotive plant. Um, you know, maybe they sold that one. You know, they sold Christine for cheap because, you know, she killed two people. Uh, well, I guess she only named one. 
Well, uh, uh, yeah, yeah. She took the fingers off of one dude and then just killed another guy because he uh, ashed in her car, like on her on her yeah. uh, driver's seat. Scumbag. Yeah. Well, okay. But so I think you have yeah. To, yeah, I think that that's a premise that you have to be on board with at the get go. So, so I'm just curious. Is I'm, I'm going to defer. I'm going to defer to Terry with the book. However, I'm going to say that they actually added that scene in the movie to imply that she was born bad. So at least, I mean, I know we got bad to the bone playing eventually, right? Which, anyway, but so you got the idea that this thing is wrong coming, like, and that's a, that's another big thing that that Stephen King does, like, like some things sometimes things are just born wrong, you know, and it's like, what are you going to deal with? The book's different, but the spirit of that opening sequence isn't, um, it's not betraying how Christine like came to be. So I know you've been, so Terry, I'm going to put this to you like that. I don't think they're dissimilar, but it's a little bit more spelled out. I think for the service of the movie, that scene works really well, but in the book, uh, there are different events that happen that make the vehicle cursed. And so, uh, LeVay, uh, the guy who actually buys, uh, what's it? Uh, Roland, D. LeVay. 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 You, you I'm keep sorry. saying LeVay because I know that's like. It's, 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 like, it's yeah. French. Yeah. It's, yeah, it's yeah. like a little weird. Anton Roland LeVay. LeVay. Yeah. He buys, he buys a, a lion. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, him, he ordered the vehicle. Custom. In, in, yeah. the, in the specs that they didn't offer initially. And this dude, he's like, he's a son of a bitch. He's just a piss and vinegar guy. And like when he gets this vehicle, it's him and that vehicle versus the world. So whatever cosmos works together with those two, that it becomes that like new energy that goes throughout the rest of the story. I don't want to give any more away than that, but because of other events. Yeah. There's things that happen in the book, right? But like he is an asshole from the, the jump, but he buys his car custom, custom made custom color, that red that you, it turns out like in reality that the, the 58 Plymouth theory was never like actually offered in that red color. Right. So in the beginning of the film, when you see like, there was like a beige and a cream that those colors were like that, where that car was originally available. And so when you see it coming off the, the assembly line, the movie, it's the only one that's red because it was never offered in that color, which is fine for the movie because you also see that Christine's different, right? Because mm-hmm. the 58 Plymouth Fury, for all intents and purposes, is actually a very pedestrian kind of ugly car, like versus everything else that was out there. Um, and that so it's kind of this thing where it's like, oh, well, this one was like ordered from the start. Like, and it's not it's not said specifically in the movie, but from the jump, it looks different. And even on the assembly line, it was like, well, I'm going to take your fingers off. And also, oh, you put ashes in me. I guess you're dead now. So it was a, very much a shortcut. So, Steve, does that make sense? Like in terms of verse of the book? Yeah, yeah. And I, I think that that, you know, like a, like a comic book, you know, a lot of comics will open with a splash page because it's the image that's supposed to, like, bring you into the story. And that's kind of what that first five minutes of Christine is. It's like it, it's to get you bought into the this idea. What well, I also um, love too, that the, the opening uh, audio is just the car revving and you hear this monster noise of this thing just roaring to life. Right. And you hear mm-hmm. the, the idol of it as the, the credits play over, which even though people say this is might like, and I know your wife said, this is a Stephen King movie versus carpenter. There's the carpenter font <laughs> and like, and he's also very aware sonically of how the sounds he wants to play. 
And there's something very intimidating of that, that engine, especially later, whenever uh, Arnie revs it in front of uh, Junkins, whenever the, the police officer's there and he starts the car and you hear this, you know, like I have a Honda fit. It will never make that noise unless something's really wrong with it. You know, like that, that car is a very tiny car. It will never make an aggressive sound. It would just probably be like meep and then die, you know? So having this Detroit steel just roar, like it is very intimidating. Everybody reacts. Well, is this like a fight to the death now? Sure. Like, no, no, but like I, I mean, I love, I love all that opening sequence stuff. Like I think it, it sets a tone. And even uh, when they were filming that, like opening, like when she's born, they call mm-hmm. it. It's done on a different type of film too, so it makes it. I didn't look even notice little, that. That make, that, that's cool. Yeah, okay. it's, so it's like this Kodak film that makes it look aged, and like I felt like that worked perfectly for the scene. And then so when we move into uh, the next scene, they are using like a polar, like uh, I think it was a Polaroid film, and it was like a lot more crisp of a look. I think that works perfectly. So well, that makes sense. So that's what, like thank you for mentioning that because um, so Dean Cundy, who had done uh, work on the thing and some other films from Carpenter, was not available because he was working on DC Cab. All right, yeah, good choice, dude. He's got a very interesting filmography. <laughs> yeah, he does, yeah. right? Like, he's, he's like, he's like, what if Mr. T? Like, what if we do that film anyway? So, uh, so Carpenter was obliged to look for a new cinematographer. Um, so he had already uh, worked with uh, Donald Morgan, who had did, who had did, who had done uh, the cinematography for the Elvis TV miniseries. So he brought him in, and you can't. Like not, I'm not trying to say this. This is not a negative towards him. You can't tell the difference between him and Dean Cundy. Like it is very visually um, interesting, and that the the darks are dark, and the way that they shoot this, like this guy's like he's like lockstep with Carpenter. Um, he would actually go on to work with him on Starman, which is the next film he would make. So I think yeah, it's like Carpenter knew he, like he knew what he wanted. Cundy worked with him really well. And then I think, you know, I think um, Morgan also worked well with him. So in terms of them changing film stock, I, I need to go back and revisit that. I didn't even notice, which I mean, subconsciously, you're right, Terry. That, that makes complete sense to me because you're jumping ahead 20 plus years, right? Well, yeah. and I, I don't know my ass from my elbow when it comes to <laughs> film, you know, like like the film stock and yeah. the, what they're using. But I knew that there was something visually that was changed from one scene to the next. This was filmed in 82 mm-hmm. and like finally completed in post-production in 83. So it's like, yeah. well, it's like but, what what could they be doing to the film to degrade it? Well, that, no, no, no. That, that, so that speaks to um, through our talking about Carpenter about how he already knew what would be cinematic. He already knew what would be effective, right? So in terms of when we talked about Saul and Precinct 13, he was like, we're going to use this better film stock because it's going to make us look like we're like, you know, way more expensive than we are. And he chose the cameras that he did for, yeah. uh, you know, 78's Halloween, you know, like because of the uh, uh, Rotacam or whatever, like uh, that that special camera. He's like, this is the what glide, we- the glide cam, the glide, glide up, uh, Panaglide. That's it. Yeah. He also used that here too. But it's like, there's a certain amount of like, you know, like uh, here, I'll, I'll throw out a reference that, um, so, um, in death proof, uh, Tarantino's death proof, the first half of that is shot on a different film, like film stock than the second half. And you can see a distinct 
difference because his, his, his joke was these are two movies. One was shot and never finished. And the second half were just slamming in this car chase. And that was the joke, right? But it works. And I didn't even notice there's a different film stock in that initial Detroit sequence. That's amazing. Cause it's yeah. filmed in such an incredible way. Still like we have this pan in scene of the, 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 the cars coming down yeah. the line. So it's like, how we're filming it is not different, but what we're filming it on is, is different. Quite that, different. That's valid. Thank you for pointing that out because um, I, I don't know my uh, my uh, my my film ass from a film elbow either. So, <laughs> um, so there we go, Steve. We talked about the first five minutes of the movie. Can you please talk about the next uh, eighty-five minutes of the film? <laughs> right now <laughs> go so, go right now all right we're going to just set back you could talk for another hour it's fine here we go you want a beer <laughs> death to the shitters <laughs> yeah. so uh you guys mentioned earlier when we were talking about the casting that you know keith gordon is really great as arnie and i i have to agree he's he's really good in this movie i you know i i <sighs> I can only think of one other movie, and this is unfortunate because he's, he's, you know, he's really good in this movie, but like, I think I saw Back to School first. <laughs> so he's just, he's always, you know, the guy from Back to School, even though he's great in this movie. Um, but I, I, in my rewatch, you know, you, you kind of feel far and he seems like a good natured kid. Um, he's, he's, okay, so he's, unpopular but he's friends with the most popular guy all right you know i can maybe buy that you know they're probably friends for life or whatever and you know uh his his in most of most of these types of situations unfortunately the guy who is arnie doesn't have the football player uh popular guy as his best friend i guess is where i'm where i'm going with that Mm -hmm. but um arnie just he does seem like a regular kid he's got you know uh just normal teenage problems. But there's, there's things that he does in his performance where I'm like, you know, I'm trying to remember back to when I was a a teenager, you know, I'm sure I was an asshole. Um, and there's some real moments in this movie, like the moment where he's yelling at his parents about like when he first wants to get Christine and he's like, you know, for once in my goddamn life, I want to make a decision that I get to make. And I, I want to be able to do this one thing. I do all this other stuff for you guys. I stay out of trouble. I, I try to get good grades. I'm getting to college. I'm doing all this stuff. You know, give me this one thing. And I, I, I feel like that's a very teen argument. And I feel like it's one that, and I can't specify like something that I'm like, oh, this is the thing that was like the big division between my, me and my parents when I was 17. But I do remember feeling like that sometimes where it was like, uh, you know, I'm, I could be such a worse kid. I think was the way I would think of it. Like, you know, like I don't get into trouble. I don't do this. I don't do that. Why are you busting my balls, but not vacuuming or something like that? You know, uh, that, that argument or that, that uh, feeling of, you know, entitlement as a teenager, uh, because everything has been, you know, either handed or, or given to you in a way that you don't quite understand getting something for yourself. Uh, I think that, that that's a really interesting piece to Arnie's character. And as much as I think that stuff's great and the stuff at the end where he's just kind of total psycho is great, but there is like this middle piece like missing where I feel like, like I feel like there's like 15 minutes of this movie cut out 
because Arnie goes from being like getting to Christine, starting to fix her up to she's done and he's making out with the girl that everybody wants to make out with at school and no one's aware of what happened. Like it was like a movie wipe or, you know, uh, just a, a time flash, you know, like we jumped in time without admitting that we had jumped in time, I guess, or I don't know. It, it, it feels rushed. Like I, I want 15 minutes of there being a little bit more of a natural progression of him putting the car together and finding out like that he's changing. Cause it, 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 it feels kind of sudden the way it happens in the movie. And I, that was always the issue that I had with the movie. Um, and I, I know that right now Terry is just like, you know, uh, he's like, you, you're lucky you're in another uh he mouthed to me i looked at me he's like steve's a shitter is what he <laughs> no, 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 that's <laughs> but like I think that was always always my issue and uh you know i enjoyed it when i took that piece of the equation out of it rewatching it i enjoyed the movie a hell of a lot more well, well uh, terry will have input and i will provide a, a additional input so terry please take the floor all right so you're not wrong about that steve um so you're not it, right either no i'm the, kidding <laughs> <laughs> shitter no um no it's it when it comes to like what they had to chop out of this i mean there was a lot that they had to get rid of i mean it's a thicker book and again, I'll praise this book like crazy. It's a great book, but I will praise the movie at the exact same like energy. It, they're both great in their own right. Um, but what they had to do to kind of hurry it up, there was a lot of different things going on in that period of time, which you're talking about the 15 minutes. That pretty much will encapsulate whatever those extra things were. But we get the gist of what, really is the forward motion of this story by just skipping along. And and the best way that I can kind of describe and how it moves along is cycle of the werewolf, which got adapted into um, silver Silver bullet. Bullet, So it's just instances that are important to the story. We just like when you, especially when you watch that movie, it gives dates and then the thing date, then the, then the next thing. And this mm-hmm. kind of just skips forward. So I don't know. At if least he gives you the calendar dates. So you can at least you, that, that's what I was going to say. I'm sorry. Yeah. I'm stepping on you. Uh, but like the whole thing, whenever we had Dennis um, in the library going up to Lee and trying to like talk to her, she's like, oh, I already have a date. And then after he gets shut down, then we cut like was a couple weeks later uh, to the football game. Right. And we see Arnie with her. And it's like, we, I, Steve, I think what you're saying is like, we didn't get him actually approaching Lee for like that initial, like, Hey, we should hang out to get that confidence from him. I think that's what you're saying is missing. And that was just a story between him and his buddy. Like he just like, well, what made you like, what made that happen? He's like, well, I called her up. And then there was like, there's like three paragraphs of like how he just approached. Well, because the book's also written from like, was it three different perspectives? I think majority uh, is from um, his buddy's perspective. Dennis. Dennis. Don't we eventually switch to Lee? Uh, Just kind of in the narrative. Okay, but uh, this isn't washing away the film. I think what you're saying is valid. I agree with that right. completely. I, I, Steve, what you're saying is, I think, is completely accurate. It's could, just, could we have made like a three or four hour movie? Well, for yeah, sure. But we also could have had a little bit more time to breathe between Arnie and Lee. Yeah, I think that's what Steve. I think that's what you're talking about. One, you his confidence rockets right, and he goes from being this glasses wearing loser to. Hey, you know, hey, Steve, yeah. here, here, how about this? Hey, I'm a pirate. 
hey, how about that? <laughs> but he's but Dennis and um Arnie become a lot more distant too. So yeah. it's like when he sees him again, he's like, wait, who's the what the car? And he's like, wait, there's Lee and Wait, who the hell is that kissing Lee? <laughs> oh my God, it's Arnie! Yeah. Like, so yeah. he doesn't know Arnie like he used to either because he's That's become fair. so much more distant from even his best friend. Yeah. So I mean, I, but, I, you're, you're sorry. Go ahead, please, please, please. Yeah, I'm just gonna butt in here real quick. I, I guess that's the other thing that you know struck me upon this rewatch is is that uh, we get really just kind of thrown into Arnie and Lee as a couple, and we're we're supposed to kind of care about. I honestly don't understand why she cares about him because we never see them really. He has being a goddamn a sweet car. I don't know what you're talking. <laughs> well, no, because that's the, that's the thing. Because okay, so again, I've tried to put myself back as you know being a teenager, where you know if it is your first girlfriend or a boyfriend, whatever, it always feels super important. Because as I'm watching it, you know, the first real scene we get to them get to see with them is at the drive-in, and she's like, "You just you." You just love this car so much. It's like, we, this is the first time we've really seen you two together as a couple. Mm-hmm. Like, you were already having these types of problems. But I also remember, you know, yes, this probably would be some stupid argument that some high schoolers would have about a kid loving his car more than his girlfriend. But it, it, it just didn't feel earned, I guess, in some ways. Or it's like, I and I get I know I'm asking a lot of this movie to be like I want these holes filled in because they're not plot holes they're just story beats that I feel like would enrich our buy-in to Lee Oh no for sure having for sure. A, yeah. you know an attraction or at least a relationship with Arnie so that's that's all No 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 you're completely right I just it's one of those things it's like I I like I don't know how I can hold a valid criticism in my head but I'm also like yeah, but I also love the movie. <laughs> you know, like I just maybe maybe I'm a little too close to this because I've seen this movie so many times and I've read the book a couple of times that it's easy for me to look past because I already know the backstory, which you do not know, right? Like I get that. So it's like it's easier for me to kind of paper over, yeah, well, that's whatever. It's just yeah, this the like to to say that you're right, uh, because you are. Uh, this film doesn't have the longest runtime. It's like what, hundred minutes, maybe something like that, like ninety five minutes, something. It is. It it takes the first half is slow. One hundred and ten minutes. Yeah. Right. So all right. Well, there you go. I, the, the first half is slow, and the second half is just pedal to the metal, pun intended. You know, it's like so. Um, it is is the characterization for this? Like, I'll put this to you, Steve. It, it, it's not okay. This isn't the same thing. It's not entirely accurate. Um. Is this any different than why Jim Lee Curtis and Tom Atkins are suddenly a thing in the fog? <laughs> it's not that unlike that, at least. But at least that I can buy. You know, the one night stand. So you, he, he, just, he did wait, admit wait, wait, that wait. he was weird. So, <laughs> so wait, you're just like I'm all about casual sex versus teenage <laughs> romance. Is that? What? <laughs> <laughs> no, I'm just saying that no. <laughs> uh, as a cynical adult, I'm much able. To, it's much easier to buy into the, that uh, that other premise. Well, fair so, enough. I mean, uh, no, I, I, I. It's not thrill like me thing. in a it's car, not, in a hot car. <laughs> yeah. it, it it's not an issue like with performances or you know I don't think that it, it hurts the film so much. I'm just trying to explain like where my sticking points were. Like oh, I said, sure, I sure. actually really enjoyed watching it. It's never been like a movie where I was like, oh, that movie sucks. 
it was just always like it was like of the, the Carpenter movies that I would watch, this was the one that I didn't watch that much because I didn't get as much out of it. But I will say, you know, on this rewatch, I had a hell of a lot more fun with it this time. Um, I think that the, I mean, there's all kinds of interesting special effects, particularly when you know uh, Christine is is you know reforming and, and things like that, and can be very menacing. Um, you know, I, I certainly being a fat guy, I never want to run away from a car. Um, but <laughs> just, just, how about, how about yeah. like 90 degree turns? Like, I feel like Moochie <laughs> in that one scene. I'm like, Oh, yeah. it's just, this is going to end badly either way. <laughs> it's like, just, you know, <laughs> but also buddy, when he's running away, I'm like, you know, you can just like turn left. The guy who's built like a brick shit house. Like what <laughs> that guy, like there's no way that dude was in that high school. Like yeah. how many times yeah, buddy, did he fail? Buddy. It's like, Oh, are you, are you an, um, was it uh, welcome back Cotter? Are you, is that where you're at? Like, uh, you know, what was it? Was it Epstein's mother says hello? Hellfire club. Yeah. He was in the Hellfire yeah. club. Yeah. He's the, yeah, that's, that's what we're talking. But he's been stranger. juicing. Yeah. Like what the hell, dude? It's like, have you been held back for 10 years straight? And you, you're like, well, at least I get to beat up. Like, I, the older I get, the younger, the, like, the freshmen stay the same. All right. All right. All right. Okay. Well, and even in the book, like, he, he missed, like, the rest of the year, and he looks like Grizzly Adams, apparently. It's like, okay, <laughs> fine. Yeah. Yeah. Like, yeah. But, no, I, to speak to what you're talking about, uh, Steve, it's when you read the book and understand why they had to trim the fat, you'll get it a little bit more. I mean, especially when you talk about Dennis and his kind of like losing his friend every time that he sees Arnie, it's like, who is this dude? Because yeah. his is, you know, like he's becoming that much more of, I, I guess, a individual. Well, I mean, so also speak to that too. Like here, here's one of the, one of the bigger differences that I, I don't think they could have filmed this the right. Well, two things. One. Um, LeBay, the guy who owned the car, he's a presence in the vehicle. And so, like, it's basically when you, like, we talked about, like, the rotting corpse of LeBay versus Arnie. But we also get this thing where Arnie's becoming LeBay in a lot of ways, where in the movie, you see his brother with his weird back brace. You see Robert's Blossom, who is Pigpen's father. Terry and I talked about Wait, this recently. It, it, yeah, he looks is like Pigpen. Is supposed to be a back brace he's wearing? Is it's that a back he's brace. Yeah. In that first scene? Yeah. Mm hmm. Also, it's like, like it, I thought it was like a straight jacket or something like. No, it, it's I'm yellowed like, because it's Robert's blossom, and everything gets near gets nicotine yellow for, without explanation. <laughs> um, it's, um, it's no, we like no Terry and I. We recently, well, one of our like, strange highways, we did a segment on there uh, called the Burning Man, which he's one of the main characters, and he looks like he was just. It's like he just put on a suit jacket. <laughs> <laughs> from the same thing. It's like, you've never been clean in your life. Have you? <laughs> like, it's just, but anyway, um, he's wearing a back brace, right? But in the, in the book, um, the, the, per, the, his brother was the one wearing a back brace. So there's a bit after the attack, um, after, uh, buddy and his gang wreck, uh, Christine and they total it, which is, if I remember right and tell you, correct me, it was at a long-term parking lot at an airport. That it they, was, they, yeah. they busted it up. Um, 30 whole, day. Yeah. Tag, something, yeah. something anyway, like, so it wasn't at Darnell's garage, but right. either way, Arnie knew that as long as Christine moved forward, she would heal herself. But because the car was wrecked so bad, it couldn't move under its own power. So he got behind the car and shoved it. This Detroit steel, this 50 Plymouth Fury, which is heavy as all get out. He would shove it and move and move. He ended up hurting his back 
to get this car moving again. And even there's this whole sequence where he's just shoving it and eventually he can hear the tires resealing and inflating and it got easier and easier. But eventually Arnie was wearing the same back brace that LeBay was wearing and he started taking on all the mannerisms of the previous owner. It's one of the sequences where I understand why they didn't do it in the movie, but it's one of the most effective and horrifying sequences in the book about his devotion and love to the car. Um, it's, it's just, it's just amazing how he would just shove this thing. And, it, and eventually it was taken to the junkyard to Darnell's and he was shoving it and moving it around to where it could eventually heal itself because as long as Christine's going forward and the Odomers going backwards, she's hell on wheels. Because, well, to give more context to that scene too, because uh, Buddy was in the same uh, car like repair shop, you know, Darnell's, because they rented bays. Yeah, you so got, he had yeah, bay yeah. twenty, and but Buddy was being a prick. Uh, but <sighs> somehow, some way, uh, you know, like there was just enough. Enough is enough, and Arnie's out. Buddy stays, but then Buddy get gets kicked out. So now we have the opening again. Yeah. Like uh, Darnell is like, yeah, that, that Buddy guy, he's an asshole. He's out. <laughs> I like how Darnell you can come back. Yeah, Darnell's the good guy. No, he's not. But anyway, but uh, just uh, that's one of the sequences that I don't know if it would have fit in the movie, but it's very effective in a book. And it just it, yeah. there's a lot. There is a lot of padding, Steve. So like. When you get to the book, and I hope you do soon, uh, dude, it's a great book. Yeah, never talk to Terry again unless you read the book. I'm kidding. No. But there's a whole thing, too, in there. Because all cars at the time were rear-wheel drive, and there was a bit they, they talked about how before the original owner, these guys were just messing with him. They put they, they lifted up the back of the car and put it on blocks. And they're like, it'd be funny because the, the wheels are going to spin, and eventually he hits the gas, and it becomes a front-wheel drive car. And they back off and hit somebody or Just something. All these things that you yeah. can't explain about this vehicle. And, and there's like, even a bit like later on where it's like it's tor- tormenting a house and becomes a four wheel drive car and goes upstairs and stuff. Like it is. The book is just, it is a living nightmare of this car that is unending. But the movie, so Carpenter, credit to Carpenter, is like, how can I make a, how can I make a car scary? And somehow grounded in a, a bit of reality, <laughs> yeah. which, whatever that is, you know. Whatever it is. But like when he chases down Moochie and Moochie's like in that, like that, that narrow bay and he's like, ha ha ha, I got you. And the car forces itself forward at like damage. How is that not, that's, it feels like, it feels like um, a predator that's it, well, like, I don't care. I'm not, I don't care how much I hurt myself. I'm done with you. It's somewhat poetic because yeah. it's seeking vengeance. And uh, the one thing I said to uh, somebody recently in a discussion is that this feels somewhat close to a rape revenge film. In the fact that it's like she got brutalized. Christine was brutalized in that in that, yeah. in that place. So now she's seeking vengeance. Mm-hmm. Like, like yeah. that is the poetic sense of it. Yeah. So, uh, so Steve Rebutt, how do you feel about that? <laughs> Uh, no, so uh, that actually brings me to the question: it, You know, if if Christine is able to kill people at will, I get the feeling that when you know Buddy and and Moochie and you know the guy from Ghostbusters show up to, uh, <laughs> that was his character, you know, right? yeah, the guy from Ghostbusters. That's his name. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> that didn't come out yet. Christine, <laughs> I get the impression that no one else is there, um, and I know the easy answer is. Because it's more effective uh, storytelling if she doesn't take revenge right there. But like, literally, like, I'm like, why isn't 
pristine protecting itself at all. Well, like, I think why part, not I think part of it there is that he's ass over. It's you know. it's the completion of the, getting the devotion of Arnie, right? Let her let her be it's symbiotic. Let her be the beat up victim, so he has to be the hero. You know what I mean? Like in the sense of like, so then whenever he actually goes to her, and one of my favorite sequences of all of cinema. I do. You cannot tell me that this thing isn't goddamn amazing. Where he walks up to her and he sees what's going on, and you hear the little bit of like the mirror be reforming, a little bit of everything. And he was like, "Okay, he suspi- he was suspicious because how do you restore this car as fast as it does when you're right? putting so many hours in? You're like, well, well, where the hell is my head? Anymore? But even then, like the the spider web of the the um the windshield keeps shrinking. Yeah. Like eventually, as he's working on it, right? And he's like, "Okay, show me." And you hear that stripper music and that saxophone. And the car reforms. It's like he now realizes, like, oh crap! Like this is where we're at. Like this is the realization. I think it was like, like, let me show you what I am, and now you're you're fully devoted to me. Like I think that it took it took her to be torn apart for him to be like, you're my one and only. It is weird of a, uh, like a weird strip tease. You know? Oh well, because why else would you hear that saxophone? Right. <laughs> you know, like you'd almost be like the, well, the lost voice. That would be the only other reason. Yeah, I still believe in the sexy car, but like, <laughs> like, why is there fishnets on the the fins of this car anyway? But it's like, no, no. Instead but of the, white walls, oh, it's a fishnet no, on the. No, tires. no. But the 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 show me sequence is one of my favorite sequences in a movie of all time. <laughs> because well, one the music, oh. which I know we put in the beginning here like that that anamorphic lens is amazing the the music drops are amazing and also it's like so also here um the special effects the practical effects were done by uh roy arbogast who did the mechanical effects on the thing so in terms of a shoot um carpenter didn't even want to actually show the car healing itself because he's like, I can't do this. This, is, this is, doesn't make any sense. They did like rubber molds of the car and they showed how they could distend it and they shot it in reverse, which is very apparent, especially with the glass going back into the mirrors. But otherwise, it's not. And it's like, it's so goddamn good. It's like, how how does that still work? And it's like, I, I just, that, that sequence gives me goosebumps. Like maybe, maybe I'm in the minority here, but I love that sequence where Arnie's like, I know what you're capable of. Just, just lay it all out. It's you and me against the world. So uh, the the thing I will say to you, Steve, um, I know that you were just saying a moment ago that like this is not something that you're really like connected to when you were younger. And that I was born in '83, so um, this this film came out the year I was born. I this was in heavy rotation in my house, and. Um, like I had no connection to Stephen King other than just watching the adaptations until probably about six or seven years ago. Um, I started doing audiobooks of his. So, I mean, like, were you, were you reading Stephen King stuff around that time? Like, did, I know you didn't read this. <laughs> He's like, You're not my real dad. Did you do that? I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, 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 like, were you, were, were you at least in the, were you at least in the idea of like how his writing would have been connected to the material that you probably were watching then? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I, I, you know, my, the stuff that I've read of, of King, it's, it's not much. It's not as much as like, cause I'm actually kind of ashamed about this. Cause we, we've talked about, uh, we were at cinema wasteland. And there was this conversation happening between 
Uh, and it was actually, I think, right after Paul had left. Uh, it was myself, El Goro, and um, Richard, who was on last week. And like I was hearing them talk about horror writers. I'm like, yeah, I've never read that. Never read that. Nope, don't know that guy. Nope. Oh, oh. Yeah. You're like, I don't uh, care. I write better than them. Buy my comic. No. But, you know, I, I feel like I, I should be ashamed to be like, yeah, I've read some Stephen King. I, I got through it in high school. Um, like that, getting me to read a book like that big in high school was a challenge. But um, I, I've read like the Bachman books because I, I, uh, I wrote a paper on it in college. Um, I own a copy of Cujo. I don't think I've ever finished it. So, like, I don't have as big of a pedigree of, like, uh, knowledge and, and experience with, with King stuff as other people. Um, so, I, I, I certainly don't mean to make it sound like, you know, I didn't like this movie. Um, it was just that th- there were things that were standing in my way from enjoying it as much as I could. And I, God knows, I've certainly forgiven other movies for way, you know, way more so it's just those were the things that were always kind of like popped up every time i viewed the movie um and uh i i guess i didn't really answer your question i understand you know that there are people who you know i don't know that any stephen king movie is you know lived up to their expectations sleepwalkers people I'm kidding. <laughs> <laughs> well, I, Maximum I, overdrive, Steve. No, come on. And actually, that. That, that bridge is a really good question because, I mean, not to cut you off, Steve, but like as far as adaptations of King and what you do know about him, like and you, I, I, this is obviously the, this one will be like side pocket for later because I want to get your input on when you finally get to the book. But like when it comes to the King adaptations, do you feel like there is like a definitively like a good adaptation of his uh, his his stories? Like like I people have their quarrels about uh, The Shining and people have their quarrels about Sleepwalkers, which really I'm wasn't kidding. a book. That, no, no, I know. Sleepwalkers I, I, wasn't a book. Oh, no, it wasn't because it, no, it was not. A that book. was an original script. Yeah. Originally bad script. Yeah. yeah. Continue, please. Oh, it's it's interesting. <laughs> uh, it would have worked so are better. You asking. Is there a definitive, in my opinion, adaptation? Yeah, like what? What would be the? Um, I guess the uh, the high mark of adaptations for King for you. I so know we're not, deviating so so far from. Oh, no, I, I, no, no. I think that's a fair yeah. question. Yeah. No. Uh, and this is probably an answer that you're not going to expect uh, because it is a short story, but it's it's stand by me. Oh, like. No, that's a good one. Uh, no, the body, the novella of the body, uh, is really, really good. That's also it's in different seasons, which is the body. Um, shit, what else? Because it, yeah, just uh, uh, Rita Hayworth and the Shawshank Redemptions in there as well. Um, apt pupil, and which the, all three of those are movies, and then the I breathing method, yep. the breathing method, which is like I don't know how they ever make that into a movie. Do you remember the breathing method? Did you I haven't that? read that yet. Oof, it is. Weird. Anyway, continue. Uh, so there's three of the four, but the body, aka Stand by Me, is a wonderful adaptation. I think it's a good call. And 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 you know, I, I guess that you know the thing that I like about Stephen King is probably what a lot of people like. Maybe they just don't realize it is is that like I think that he writes really good characters, mm-hmm. and I think that both the body and 
um, the film adaptation, Stand By Me, is the best representation of what it's like to be a 10-year-old boy. Like, particularly that age right before you go into junior high. Mm -hmm. It's like that that time frame of, like, you know, discovering girls or, you know, maybe discovering boys, but, like, kind of starting to realize that, like, oh... um, uh, a net on uh, the Mickey Mouse Club is filling out, kind of thing. <laughs> um, a net food a channel. No, no, like yeah. those Mickey Mouse ears are dip, dropping down. I get it. No, no, that's fair. You know, but yeah. they're still having convers like they're they're interesting girls, but they're still having conversations like uh, you know who would win in a fight between Superman and Mighty Mouse, and the rationale being that Mighty Mouse isn't real. Like yeah, those yeah, types of things yeah. feel very much like who I was as a ten year old boy, and I'm like I, I feel like that's the best encapsulation of it is the, the easiest I can come to like, I guess relating. Um, I think, you know, we don't oftentimes think about representation and I get it. Uh, straight white guy. I'm represented everywhere, but I just mean like when it's like something that really you feel like, Oh, that was, you know, I wasn't any of those kids, but I know exactly what they were going through mm-hmm. or who they are. And it felt like exactly like that at that time. You know, I didn't grow up in the fifties, but it certainly felt the same way uh, to me as being a 10 year old. Well, like even already being period. bullied in 78, my God, like what, like even watching this now, it's like just, I, I not that I was ever bullied in, in shop class because everybody was making bongs out of things or whatever, but it's like, I know, like I, I, I remember like, like there were times like during like middle school and high school where I just tell my mom, like, I can't do this today. I take a, I call on sick. And she'd be like, okay, I get it. Cause it's like, there was so much, like it was relentless, relentless. And the, you know, Hey, surprise, surprise. I've never been to a high school reunion because now, now everybody's older like me and they're overweight and like, you know, dumpy. They'll be like, Hey, what's going on? It's like, you were a piece of shit. And I also remember that you took one of my friends' clothes and threw them in a shower and doused them after gym class. So that way he couldn't actually like like getting his clothes after to go to class respectably. And I remember going to my vice principal and be like, like this is going on. He's like, well, who? And I'm like, I can't tell you names because if I let you know, it's going to be worse. I re- I remember all of this. And like, that's a very similar scene to the, uh, the <sighs> when they're in the shop. Yeah. And, you know. Like everything happening here. It's like, I can relate to all that where it's like, you guys are going to push, push, push. And the moment I lash out, somehow I'm the joke. And it's like, so I, I relate to Arnie a great deal. So whenever he finally like gets his legs and the, like, and you've been watching stranger things, Steve. And I know like Terry has too. Mm-hmm. Uh, I don't know if you got to the skating rink portion of yeah. Stranger, yeah. The bit yeah. wherever 11 like has enough. I was about to clap. Like, oh no, I, 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 I didn't stand up. I was like, yes. You know, like, all right, well, a crime has been committed, but they deserved it. Like, I was ready to be like... She didn't go too far, but she went, like, uh, far. Well, no, no, no. She went really far, but I'm saying the person that was egging her on deserved every goddamn minute of it. You know, it's like... Oh, yeah, yeah, just Yeah. yeah. So, um... We know, we know, we know this character. So, oh, so Arnie, so, Arnie is me in a lot of ways where it's like, push, 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 just... And then you'd lash out, and it's like... And then that, that was even funnier to them, which would just make it sour and angrier. Yeah. So, in terms of King... What you're talking about, what you write about. That's why I talked about how the um the the was it the basketball um 
the kid in Stranger Things that's like the the the, the team leader, like the the captain. Mm-hmm. He like yeah, I, I said this remember. couple couple weeks ago. I was like, he's the greatest king character never written. How he's the asshole and that like, feels like entitled. Like you're just watching the mist again. Yeah, he, but the moment he's actually brought like, oh, this is weird. Satan. <laughs> You know, whatever, like, you know, like, I feel like I, I just like, so I just think that King, when you talk about him writing characters, as much as this is not a small town, it is because high school is a microcosm and Arnie is a very relatable character and you want to cheer him on, but it's like, it's it, it, with a lot of these stories where it's like they plateau of like, I'm with you. Oh, no longer. I'm not with you now, you know? And then you become sympathetic to Dennis, which you, I'm not saying you never were, but it's like, I just, I think Arnie is probably, and I, maybe I'm colored by the books I've been reading. Arnie's probably the most filled out character that Carpenter has ever actually had on screen in terms of like, like we love Snake Plissken. He's pretty two dimensional. We yeah. like Michael Myers is one dimensional, you know, like McCready, like he's not like the most nuanced, but there is nuance in that movie because you have so many people going on. Arnie, it's like you cheer him on until you don't. And I don't know if we've run into this so far. Like even Napoleon from um, Napoleon Solo from uh, Solo Precinct 13, we know he's a bad guy, but at least he's like, these people don't deserve the shit. You know, like, so well, you, you get, I'm sorry, go ahead, please, Steve. No, no, no. You were just talking about Carpenter characters. And I, yeah. I would just, I, I would say that uh, I would make an argument for Laurie Strode, but. Okay, well, I that's fair. Interesting yeah. about, no, 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 no. no uh, the, the, what I was going to say, though, is is that Arnie is, in a lot of ways, the um, – I, I don't want to say the reverse Laurie, but, like, you know, Laurie's very similar. I mean, she's not picked on to the extent that he is, but, like, very shy, very, you know, uh, wallflowerish, if you will. Um, and Arnie is kind of that same way, but he's picked on. But, like, whereas – Lori's story is about her finding the strength to, you know, um, when it comes to, uh, Arnie, it's, it's, he goes the other way. So I think it's almost like they're polar opposites, but they're also kind of the same character. That's fair. I think that we, we cheer him on until, so he's Lori until he becomes the shape. Like, I think there's a weird, like he becomes like the guy we cheer for until he becomes like, that is an interesting archetype. Like, maybe, maybe I'm not, maybe I'm not correct about that, but it's like the, the second half of the movie, it becomes like, I like how, I like how fast like Moochie goes out. Right. And then all of a sudden the buddy and the rest of his gang goes out in the same night. It's like, Oh, we're done with the shit now that we got to move on. <laughs> like you, the, any other movie would have spent way more time having, uh, um, Arnie and Christine stalk everybody, but it's like, no, we got one and then four. And it's like, it's like, it's almost this thing's like bonus. And <laughs> Take everybody out that same night. Like, I, I don't know. I just, 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 um, I think that's fair. Um, but also like when we like, how do you make a car scary? One is you destroy it and then somehow it's back into the windshields and it's all blacked out, which I mean, you could argue that it's a production thing where it's like, you can't see, you know, what's going on. And then also you can see, it's like, well, is this Arnie or is it Christine? So I think that's an important thing to get into. I think that it was a really good choice because I think with having the blacked out windows, it's kind of like having uh, a bandana over your eyes. Like, well, this is the, uh, the 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 killer in the night. Like, let's not know who's behind the wheel. 
that makes more sense to me. It's not explained in the book, but it makes more sense to just be like, well, this is a visual media. Mm -hmm. We don't need to see who's behind the wheel. And there's no real good way to do that on film. Yeah, I think it works. I think it works really well. I think um, we can't explain these powers of the car anyway. So whatever you know well because like i said like in the book it, it somehow is a like front wheel drive car a four wheel drive car like it gets but I, like whenever yeah the whole thing with him chasing down moochie and then eventually whenever you get it chasing down buddy and company like you know having the blackout windshield like i think that works really really well i mean the only time we get to see arnie specifically behind the wheel doing these things because the whole night whenever christine goes after buddy and company uh, Arnie's not there. We right. know he has an alibi. And the one scene we we're kind of getting ahead of ourselves if we do explain that scene. Yeah. Um like so like all these kill scenes we really don't know who the hell is behind that wheel if there is anybody behind that wheel. Like that's I love that like that how it like wait what what the hell is going on? Like Well yeah, because like even after that that carnage whenever it goes back to Darnell's and Darnell's like Hey, uh, did Arnie drop off the stuff and took my caddy? And then you see the smoking car, which Burnt. by the way, yeah, is this, is this the greatest ghostwriter sequence we're ever going to get in a movie? I think so. Because, um, the, the newest ghostwriter would use a car. Right. And it's like, my God, my God. It's like, that's such a great sequence of this car enveloped in flame, just chasing down buddy. It's such an iconic image. Like, yeah. And, and just like the idea of this haunted car whatever like i've seen duel you know i i've seen uh nightmares like there was that one oh, segment the last there. sequence with lance higgerson where the 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 truck comes up out of the dirt <laughs> it's right. oof, and, that's so good and after this we had uh maximum overdrive it's like <laughs> well there's even that film what was it, the killer car or whatever it was the car i've not the seen the car, car. Yeah. i've not seen the car but yeah and so it's like what what else can we do with this? And then there was the, the Twilight Zone segment that <laughs> you drive. Yeah, you drive. <laughs> you drive is like one, you know. It's on, not great, but it's a but it's Christina Jason. Yeah, yeah. on our podcast, uh, you know, like Strange Highways, we discussed that, and I was like, I was only thinking about Christine the entire time. Yeah. So like, I don't. Steve, have you ever seen that? And like, can you speak to like all the other things that maybe like you know like. formulated an opinion about this that might be like haunted car, haunted vehicle, whatever. Um, you know, I mean, I know that, uh, uh, DC had a comics, I think it was in the sixties, maybe it was the fifties. That was like the haunted tank. And I think they've tried to roll that out every once in a while. But it's, I, <laughs> Pun intended, even, they roll out the tank, the haunted tank. Yeah. <laughs> I didn't think about that. <laughs> how do you feel about how about the how do you feel about the Charlie Sheen film, The Wraith? How do you feel about that? <laughs> do you know what I'm talking about or no? I've never seen it, but I've seen oh, uh, so, the chase. <laughs> <laughs> Steve, you've seen The Wraith, right? Have you seen The Wraith? Anyway. No, no, I haven't. And you gave me a digital code for it, and I still haven't watched it. All right. Anyway, it's about it's about kind so, of a, a specter of vengeance. That's in a cool looking car. <laughs> Charlie Sheen. All right, continue. Um, you know, uh, so yeah, I, I guess uh, I'm not answering your question very well. I, I, uh, I, I think with you know with Arnie and 
Oh, uh, why can't I think of the name of the gentleman who owns the garage? Um, Darnell. I'm blanking at his name. Yeah. Darnell. Um, that scene is very cool that you're talking about where the car rolls in and it's all smoking. But was it just me or did it feel like Darnell, his kill was in there just because, like, we've gone a little too long without a kill. We've got to throw the, one in his, here. And his... I, his- I, um, um, him going in with the shotgun to be like, well, Artie's not in the car. Like, I think, I think that's a fair assessment of like, I don't know it's what, who's in this, but it's not him. And the moment the car opens, like, I'm going to sit down and it makes no sense whatsoever. Yes. I will agree with you. It's like, oh, the handle's hot. I guess I'll just sit in the middle of this molten lava car. Like, that <laughs> makes no sense. I agree with you. Um, I will say, though, that in the book, Christine kind of has this aura, which is not said in the book at all. Like the one time Dennis sits behind the wheel, it kind of speaks to him. He's like, let's cruise, let's go. And it's like, it's almost like the siren song type of thing Mm. where it tries to draw people in. It's not made very apparent in the movie, which fair enough. And we can hand wave that because we, we can like, I enjoy this. And I hand wave it. Like I don't think this was a good kill. Uh, I don't. No, it, ma- it makes no sense. But it's but it's an effective visual. So I'll agree with you completely. Darnell getting in there makes no goddamn sense. Yeah, like I, it's like the idea of like sitting in the driver's seat. No one else is sit sat in that driver's seat other than Arnie. Yeah. So like Dennis doesn't even know the power of this car. Yeah. But like just Darnell's like, oh, this car is hot to the touch. And it just shows up like, you know, without anybody in it, I guess I'm going to sit in here now and I am, um, I am an overweight dude and the car is going to just shove its seat forward and I want to die. It's like, okay, it's just, but you're right. Like it's Steve. a spent match. Like really? Like, <laughs> no, Steve, I think you're absolutely right. It's like, well, it's been a little too long since we saw a weird death. It's like, yeah, <laughs> like you're not, you're not wrong about that. You're and, absolutely not wrong about it. I agree with you completely. And again, I, I've forgiven, you know, I've forgiven worse, you know, offenses in other movies. It, it's not like that's something that bothers me, but it was something that did occur to me in this viewing as well, where it's just like, yeah, he's just got to kill for no reason. It makes so, no logical I mean, I, sense. Absolutely. Yeah. I agree with you. Yeah. Well, and especially because you don't really know what Darnell's power is over Arnie and how he's dispensed. Um, that is played out better in the book. Um, I think it's just like, well, we need to get rid of this son of a bitch. No, but, like, but, but at, least, at least a credit to the actor, um, was it, uh, Robert, Robert Prosky. Yeah. He actually went forward to uh, Carpenter and company and was like, I need a little bit more lines. I need something to fill this character out more. And there's that sequence where he's like, Hey, you could do a couple loops, pick up around here or whatever. And then Arnie's like, I gotta think about it. He's like, well, don't think about it too goddamn much. Like he and, was like, I yeah. need something a little bit more. And it's like, Darnell's a very realized character where he's an asshole. But it's like he's like every so often he tries to show kindness, but he's still kind of an asshole. And it's like that sequence that gives him a little bit. I'm not saying that he's a redeemable character because absolutely There's not. There's a bit of levity. Like you're like, oh, like, like I, he, I feel a kind of a, a, a he's connection. A little, it's like one of those things where it's like, oh, this kid's just trying to like repair his car. I'll give him. A, let me show him a modicum of kindness as long as he doesn't like if he second guesses me. Like, nah, you know, like I, I, that sequence I think works to show that Darnell is still a piece of shit, but he understands why Arnie's doing what he's doing of like, I have, I have my garbage car that's 20 years old. Like it, it gives a little bit more of a hook. So not that I'm saying his death means as much, but I'm just saying it's like Darnell as a character has a little bit more complexity. I mean, more than Lee. Lee is like 
Oh, I'm making out. Oh, that car's bad. Oh, you know. Choking on a cheeseburger. Yeah, I just feel bad for Alexandra Paul because she is, like, she's good and she radiates, like, this innocence and all this. And she, but it's like, she's not given much to do. I don't know why Darnell as a character is given a little bit more to do than the the female (laughs) love interest. Like, am I wrong about that? I don't think I'm wrong. Well, there's a lot more through lines for Darnell's character. Well, Darnell as a character throughout the entire story. So... I will argue that point. Fair enough. So, all right. So, um, let, let, let's see what I was going to mention here. So, um, so, so Steve, you yes. said, you said, uh, that you enjoyed this film a lot more now versus the other times that you watched it. So where, where did you find that joy in this watch of this film? Uh, <clears throat> I think I think one in the performance of Arnie. I, I really do, and I I think I, I meant to compliment it earlier, and I started to, and then I shifted to another point that kind of took away from it. So I I, I think he's really really good in this movie, and that show me moment uh, was not one that I really ever gave much thought to, uh, you know, and. It's, it's saying that now after hearing you talk about like how it's one of your favorite movie moments of all time but like uh, it was one of those things that i you know watching it this time i was like i was really into that scene for some reason and i i I don't know specifically why i don't know why it left me cold previously but i was like man he's so damn good right here Mm -hmm. and uh it's a, a visual feast that entire sequence which you guys already talked about but um that i enjoyed quite a bit and terry actually hit upon this earlier um, I don't think I enjoyed Dennis as a character in previous viewings as much as I did here. He is kind of sidelined through the middle of the movie. And then, you know, there's never this thing of him, like, you know, having this confrontation with Arnie over other things. Like it was like, Oh, the same girl or it, it is, but like, that's never what their argument is about. It's about like, I'm losing my friend. And mm-hmm. like, there's something going on here. It's almost like, Arnie's addicted to drugs or, you know, something else. Well, it's know, an interesting reversal. Have in a movie. Yeah. Let me, I'm going to step in real quick here. It's almost the reversal of like, we're friends and now you're this popular football guy and I'm losing you. And the moment that Dennis gets slide, sidelined with an injury, he realizes he's losing Arnie. It's like this weird, like it's inverted, right? Like where Dennis is like, everything's good. You're my buddy. And like, Oh, I can't do the thing I, I did before. Like, oh, I'm losing you. I, I think there's something to be said there. Yeah, and I guess I watching it this this time for whatever reason that really kind of hit home with me. Um, and for some other reason, this is not a a like oh I, you know, why I enjoyed it more or less. It's uh, just something that I realized for whatever reason. I thought Kelly Preston was in way more of this movie. <laughs> like she's in like two scenes. I'm watching right? it. Yeah, she's in yeah. And the library like, oh, and then literally had yeah, like yeah. a arc and like, Nope. <clears throat> nope. So, yeah. so, okay. So also I want to point out here that like, I also like at the end, the end. So the end sequence where it becomes the showdown between Christine and, um, and, uh, Dennis and, um, Lee, right. The, and the way the book plays out, since it's set in Pennsylvania around Monroeville, it's set in like Romero country, which right? I love that. And I, yeah. I, I have to like add a little bit of knowledge there too. Um, I'm a 
fanatic of George Romero. Um, this story, really? well, I'm, yeah, kidding, I'm kidding. The car is named after Christine, his wife, at that time. Mm. When when they were working, when um, Stephen King and George Romero were working on Creepshow, he thought of this storyline and created it from that okay. point. So, the, and then as an homage, nice. Christine was the car. I watched an episode of Quantum Leap where uh, Sam leaped into somebody that was uh, uh, helping somebody, and their their kid was named Stephen, and he would make references to Stephen King things, and he mentioned Christine on the offhand, and and the kid was like, oh, and then eventually at the end, Sam realized that he actually influenced Stephen King, so I'm going to believe that story more than yours. No, I'm kidding. What the f- no, 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 no. It's an actual <laughs> episode of Quantum Leap. <laughs> Anyway, uh, I, I was like, like <laughs> you, you gotta be making it. No, no, he, he, uh, the entire time Sam kept making references to like King works and this kid's like, oh, that's interesting. And he's like, oh shit, did I just inspire? Was it like the kind of the snake eating itself? Anyway, but anyway, so yeah, so this was set in like, you know, Pennsylvania, but this, the, but this was taking place in California. So I thought that like, I, the movie was, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So I thought that was an interesting update. But in terms of the final showdown, Steve, so you know, because snow happens in Pennsylvania. Not all parts of California. Whenever they did the whole thing with the showdown at Darnell's garage, um, they were waiting for the car to come forward. Uh, Christine mm-hmm. was in in the junkyard, covered in junk, and snowed on. And, oh, which is more interesting because they're waiting for things to like show up. Yeah, and also the final vehicle wasn't a bulldozer; it was a honey dipper named Petunia. So what? you have. The Honey Dipper is the big truck that goes around, uh, you know, sucking up all the shit from porta potties and like septic tanks. Uh, so you have this big sewage truck versus Christine. And, but I love the idea that in, that, in the Caca book, sucker, I think they call yeah, it in the book. But I love the idea that this, this car, this 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 utility vehicle, was named Petunia. It's like, oh, it's another female name versus Christine. Like, <laughs> but I will say the bulldozer. It almost this this predates Aliens. Where you almost have like the power loader versus the monster. It's like, yep, that feels in line. <laughs> I like the idea as a bulldozer. It's like something about that feels very appropriate to me. I love I love this in sequence. I don't know how you guys feel about it. I think it's amazing. Well, the studio people were like, but we can rent like the 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 vehicles of right now with the big wheels and everything. And Carpenter's like, no. I want it to look old school. I uh, want it to look ugly and mean. Mean. You know? Yeah. And it, it, so he got these one with the tracks on it, like the <laughs> old school tracks. And he was like, I want it to run over her. <laughs> so, Steve, watching this again, how did you feel about uh, Christine? And that, that final sequence, like, again, how do you make a car scary? I like. So I think I, I'm going to say that this is this is more adjacent to Halloween where you have the omnipresent, like, like unstoppable force, right? Where it's like, I don't care how much you damage it. It's coming. It's coming. It's coming. It's coming. And uh, Carpenter has shown repeatedly about how he will um, accentuate moments of terror with music. And this old, like, I'm not saying this is a remake of Halloween. I'm not saying that at all. However, it is very Halloween adjacent to how, like, this car, people are looking at it, it's like, oh, who's this guy in a mask? Oh, shit, it's stabbing me. Oh, what's this car? Oh, shit, it's running me over. Like, they're not that far away from each other. Like, I mean, in terms of uh, thematics, 
in terms of like the the uh, like the approach the, to film well, it. Yeah, I just I don't know. Like maybe maybe I'm being maybe I'm nonsense. But Steve, re- react to my nonsense. Uh, so um, yeah. Okay. Uh, no, you're not wrong. Um, and you know, I, I absolutely can see that comparison. Um, what's interesting to me is, is that, uh, you know, at no point did I, okay, I shouldn't say that because I just made the point about Darnell. Uh, at least within the finale, at least there's no point where I really felt like anybody was making like the dumb horror movie decisions their plan you know seems to make sense it goes awry right from the start but um i also like the fact that like you know when when arnie dies like the story keeps going you Mm -hmm. know like you kind of expect like oh that's gonna be it you know arnie's dead you know there's nothing kind of powering christine other than being evil it should just be at this point we can destroy the car. Well, but, the, how did you feel about uh, the jump scare of Arnie clutching Lee? That felt very Halloween esque, where it's like I got to have somebody lunging at somebody right before he collapses. Yeah, yeah, and I, it also interests me that he's like she. She's kind of like, oh, you know, I, she doesn't say I love you. I don't remember what she says. No. To, but like, like he's dying, and like he can't eat, like. She's trying to have like a moment with him, like, oh my god, this awful thing's happened to this this guy that I was trying to save, who I had kind of a relationship with. Um, let's have some sort of connection. And he's just staring at Christine, like and touching her. I, I found that to be chilling. Yeah. yeah, he fingers the V. I, I don't know. Just take it yeah. where you want with that. Take take well, that statement. Yeah, and that was like an end choice by Carpenter. Well, like, and also Keith Gordon, where he's like, he realized that like you know the whole thing is like. The, I'm in love with this car. I'm going to touch it lovingly every time I interact with the car. And I'm like, that's a conscious decision. And credit to him, too. Like, my God, like, you buy the connection between him and the car. Well, Carpenter and him had a uh, a real clear conversation about, like, the choices of scenes, too. Yeah. It's like, that's that's awesome. That And, like, Keith, uh, Keith Gordon was, like, he was analyzing the way that uh, – Carpenter was doing every scene. He was on set for most of those scenes, even if he wasn't even in those scenes. No, he was. He he was like, I'm gonna like. How could I be a director? And he, it, it, he yeah, that it, was yeah. a conscious yeah. decision because yeah. he wanted to ascend. He wanted yeah. to be something more than just an actor. Yeah. So I just I love at the end. Um, like spoiler for everybody. Uh, at the end of this uh, episode, there's going to be a certain song that plays after uh, Arnie uh, dies that Christine uh, plays, which we didn't even talk about how she is Bumblebee this entire time. I'm kidding about like, she's a transformer that never becomes a robot. <laughs> she's a Decepticon, <laughs> but like the, like also like and she goes on a rampage too. Yeah. yeah she, she, she's not rampage. Right? <laughs> yeah. But like the music selection, which also, um, oh my the, God. The, that's so much fun. And also the scoring, from this, which was uh, Carpenter and um, oh Alan Horath, yeah. um, which is funny because I talk about this book I'm reading that Troy Horath and Alan Horath are not related, but that was like his go-to that he started. What was it after? Was it Halloween two and forward? Like with a thing, he was like like Carpenter's go-to. I adore the score, which feels like it's like there's beats in the fog that you heard from this, and I also think there's beats in Escape from New York in this. This this score is amazing and the soundtrack's amazing. The the music that was chose 
for like these different beats. Like, oh my god, like when you have Little Richard and that, like, oh my god. Like, also, rock and roll will never die. Oh. Like, you keep a knocking it, you can't come in whenever Dennis goes to like oh. mess with the car. George Thurgood in the beginning of the film. <laughs> yeah, yeah. My God, like, so I grew up with my grandpa- grandparents to uh, give backstory. Uh, when I saw this film, I was living with my grandparents, and I was listening to Doo-Wop. I was listening to Motown. The, all this music just layered this film for me. Yeah. Like, I was already listening to all this stuff. Yeah. No, it's just the like their choices. And I, you know, I'm, I'm spoiling this, but that, that last bit when Arnie di- dies, that song is so iconic that it's going to play here. So everybody's going to hear at the end. I'm excited for yeah, it. Yeah. Like I just, it's going to be amazing. So, so, um, I'm going to put this to you, Steve. Again, this time through, you said you enjoyed this a lot more. Um, like you talked about like, like what worked for you? Like overall, like this time through, like, like, I understand the the pacing of Arnie and Lee. That's weird. We agree on that. It's very fair. It, it, that's completely a valid thing. Like, what really, really worked for you this time through for uh, Christine? So, I don't know that this is really a fair answer, but uh, Stranger Things, particularly being on our, our minds as of of, no, of recent, you know. Um, I remember when Stranger Things, the first season hit and like the first reviews were coming out and everybody was like, it's Steve Spielberg meets Steve King. And I remember watching the opening credits and I'm like, okay, I'm like, I get where you guys are going with this, but I'm like, this all feels very John Carpenter to me. (laughs) And I feel like if you're looking for, uh, you know, a John Carpenter or how do I put this? Like, Stranger Things to me is more John Carpenter than Steven Spielberg. We'll put it that way. Um, I, I, I totally get where they're referencing that. I understand why they feel that way. But as I, you know, maybe it's because Stranger Things is fresh in my mind. But like, if I was to pick a movie that I'm like that feels very much like it was made in the '80s and not detrimentally in the sense of like I'm not saying like oh I'm going to shit on this movie because it was made in the '80s or the special effects or whatever. No, I mean, it, it feels very much of that time period. Like, this movie feels like what Stranger Things wants to look like, mm-hmm. is, I guess, what I'm trying to say. Um, I feel like this is, uh, you know, I, I was, you know, I didn't chime in earlier where you guys were talking about the film stocks and everything, but um, I don't know any of that stuff either. So I had nothing really to contribute. But, like, choices like that, I think, are things that, like, maybe I overlooked, uh, you know, upon previous watches, not not knowing that like, and the next time I watch it, I'm going to look for it. But like that, those types of visuals are what stranger thing is, is trying to emulate in my brain. Uh, and I think that you just watching it, I'm like, you know what? This, this movie is way better than I remember it being. And it's never like, I thought it was like a a terribly visual, Mm -hmm. visual movie or anything like that. But I just, uh, was so sort of enamored with the, the, the characterizations and the, the, uh, characterizations isn't the performances my apologies the performances um the way the movie looks um the feel of the movie and also the fact that it is a movie about a possessed car like it's and i say this lovingly it's far better for a movie than it probably should be like a movie that's about a possessed car like you you wouldn't think a movie like that like if you hear that idea you just feel like that's kind of a dumb idea yeah like not dumb in the sense of like, how do I put it? Like, 
Okay, I, I've talked about the movie Dead Heat, which I think is uh, a great B movie uh, that some people would say is a great D movie. But, like, the premise of that is a, a cop who gets turned into a zombie and has 24 hours to solve his own murder. That's a dumb premise, but it's also a great premise. Like, that's what I mean about a, a possessed car. You, you give that to somebody else to handle. You don't get a movie like Christine. Um does, does any of that make sense? Is, is everybody now dumber for having listened to me? <laughs> no, no, no. That makes complete sense in, in the sense that what you just... I disagree. I'm, I'm sorry. I'm, I'm joking. <laughs> Terry, please. Well, what you were saying about, like, it seems like a dumb premise, That that's kind of what the consensus was. Because you had um, the guy who wrote uh, the screenplay, uh, what was it? Jeez. Uh, I just lost. Oh, it. I'll find his. I'll find his name here. One it's, second. But like John Carpenter felt the same way. He was like, "Well, how, that's been done before. How do we just reinvent the wheel?" And so, like, when you look at it from that perspective, you have two people, like the like the primary people that would create, like, get this off the ground. How do you really make that like a, a marketable movie? You know, like. Yeah, so I'm not really feeling it, but I want a paycheck because that's John Carpenter's feel on this. Because that's what he was. He His point of view on this right now is like, well, I need to get paid. And, you know, like the fire starter thing fell through. Yeah, he, he wanted to actually, you know, be. He's like, I need, I need another hit. I need to show that I can do this. Right. Yeah. So, I mean, like, so you're at that point of, uh, like, juncture right now. So, like, uh, uh, Bill Phillips. Yeah, he did this uh, screenplay for this, and like he got like what Paul was saying earlier, he got presented two storylines. He got presented Cujo and this. So I feel like, like in retrospect, now I'm glad that Bill Phillips took a ride on. Yes, this. I agree too. I this this feels very much like this is. Like right up Carpenter's alley, and it just even though he was a gun for hire for this, like his his sensibilities show through in this movie, and the way he shoots it, and even like like there's these there's these nice focus pulls that happen in this movie where when like Moochie is first like trying to figure out what's going on, I love I love there's that um that that tracking shot from left to right where Christine's sitting there and Beautiful playing the scene. music. And it's, you get the perspective of him trying to figure out what's going on. And that song then, going, then, oh Yeah, and it's like all of a sudden whenever he's like, oh, is that you, Arnie? It's like, and then the, the car starts up and goes Ooh. after him. It's like, that's great. Um, I love, like, it just, it shows like how, how menacing. And then even the bit whenever the car goes after Buddy's car, like, like, there's a lot of trivia here that we didn't even get into about the like the types of cars used in this. My God, how like uh, was it, um, Henry, Henry D. Stanton's car? And- yeah, Henry D. Stanton's car was a Plymouth Fury as well. That it's like a later one. Um, like that's kind of it fun was a too. Cop car, yeah, it's a cop car. And then how there was a Camaro that um, that Buddy had, and there was also a Dodge Charger that Dennis had. Like this, like there's this um, like love affair with cars in this movie that is speaking to as well. And music. Oh, oh my God! You got the music. Like, the- you got the. Uh, was it there? There was that cut from the beginning of the film that was like. Um, that was from the earlier part of the film to the '78. That was like a cover. Going forward, I forget oh. the name of the song. And it, it was a great transition. Too. Yeah, like there's a lot in here I like a great deal, and and it's it, the the polish of this film. When I say this is the most commercial 
like like Hollywood film Carpenter's done. Uh, we're going to get into other stuff later. And like Starman's really good too. We'll get into that next month. And it's going to be a great talk when we get there. This feels like the most like uh like packaged like tied in a bow Carpenter film you can get. That is the most studio thing. And I, I want to mention here, he was given a budget of um oh where's that here? Um the, the speaking of like versus the thing at the time, he was given a budget of uh let me find it in my book. Well, the here. one thing I do yeah. want to say is nine point seven million, which is significantly less than he had for the thing. Uh, he actually, and because the special effects of this were way less in, in um, intensive and also location shooting, he also brought this film in like under budget and on not but on budget on time, and it made twenty plus million at the box office. So it it made its money, but like it wasn't the biggest hit to kind of reestablish him. But it wasn't a failure either. So I, I will point that out as well. Sorry, Terry, you were saying something. Well, the last note I want to bring to, to the table here is that um, Carpenter felt like this was the easiest directing job that he ever had. Yeah. The, he said that in an interview. It's like, as far as directing, this was this was easy. I was like, whoa, I mean, geez, Christ. Like, go ahead. <laughs> well, the, the bit with Buddy and like whenever was his a, car, like that back and forth that was going on. Like, how do you choreograph that? Right. It's like, I mean, you look at like his filmography and this was a late interview, too. So it's yeah. like you went through Prince of Darkness and all that stuff. It's like, how how was this the easiest one? <laughs> so I don't know. Well, yeah. so I, I do think, you know, and I, I had not heard this quote before. So uh, it could be wrong. Sometimes I think when people say that there are things that we don't factor in, like I think that like you know Halloween was probably easy because it was low budget and you know there wasn't as much you know special effects wise to put into it. And but I imagine it was probably a very stressful time as well. Uh, maybe this was like easy for him in the sense that like he had the money to do things that he wanted and actually not have to sweat some of the other things that he probably did with other movies. Maybe that's what he means, unless he specifically was talking about the physical act of, of getting the movie made. Uh, um, you know, I don't know. It's 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 weird too because it's like you know, uh, Carpenter is somebody who you know doesn't have like a this the latter half of his career things just sort of tail off for him unfortunately um, he has some some pretty big misses that happen. I mean, spoilers. And like he just sort of. Yeah, well, <laughs> but you know, I don't know. Like you know, and we've all also looked back at things that we thought were hard when we were younger, and been like, "Oh, that was actually really easy," and I didn't realize it. So maybe that's where he's coming at it from. That's fair. So let me. Okay, so um, I mentioned the the budget. Where okay, here. Here's what he said. He was like, um, you know, uh, commercially, it was as Carpenter put it, neither a big hit nor a flop. I could have used a hit at that time in my career, but it didn't happen. So it actually doubled its budget. That doesn't mean anything because marketing and everything. So it wasn't like the, the you, you, you partner up John Carpenter and Stephen King at the time, who King had a rocket strapped to his back and was like just going forward, right? So. Like, but it was also since this was the first of three adaptations that year, and we ended up getting um, the Dead Zone and a Firestarter, which was Cujo. The, well, sorry, Cujo. Uh, that um, Firestarter didn't happen because Carpenter walked away from it, and he got like a producer credit. And that film's okay. Like, don't get me wrong. And Cujo's like Cujo's a good film too. But like, I think 
getting the spirit of King, this is probably the closest one you got of the three. Um, so I'll say that, but also, um, in terms of critical review, Roger Ebert would like go on to champion this film and like, I'm not gonna read all his review, but I want to mention this here, which I think is very important. It's a carpenter who, who made Halloween and his method is to take the story more or less seriously. One grin and the mood would be broken. Carpenter was always straight faced about what he did. I know we're going to big trouble in little China later and that's a comedy, but he was always very front facing about like, this is what's going on. Here's a haunted car. How do I do this? Like there's no, there's jokes in this and the dialogue in this film is probably, this is probably one of the most quotable films that he's ever put out because it's very leading into King. Um, but like, it was very straight faced, which is one of those things. Like, I don't know how to describe it. Um, I, I think there's a sense of irony. Now there's a sense of meta that shows up in films. Now that it's, it's hard to separate, right? This film has comedy. It has like, like I, I was, I was watching it like the second half of today, whenever um, Arnie is like with Dennis, like going in the car after was it Thanksgiving? Sorry, new year's whenever the car is like not drifting and you have already being like, you don't like beer. Don't you like beer? I'm like, yeah, like Kavanaugh was all about that. Um, but anyway, um, <laughs> yeah, you know, Supreme court justice guy owns a car or whatever. Anyway, same difference, but there, there, there are some jokes in here because I think Carpenter also understood humor to a degree that kind of is escape valve to kind of be like, you know, a little bit before you got to the worst stuff. But at the same time, it's not joke a minute. It's not like, it's not, it's not self-aware. It's just so straightforward because the idea of a haunted car driving around killing people is a really silly idea. And I think Carpenter gave it the same weight that the book did too. You know what I mean? Like, so this is this one confluence of two of my favorite creators coming together and Carpenter did this as gun for hire and, and King had no control of the final output. However, like as much as there's been many, many, many King adaptations, I'm going to put this in the same vein as stand by me, um, Shawshank redemption and the mist where you took what worked and made it into probably greater than the original. However, both can stand on their own. So I'll put that that way. Yeah, Terry, go ahead, please. Well, yeah, especially when you think about Darbon, like uh, I mean, like yeah, the Mist and uh, Shawshank Redemption are incredible uh, versions of those stories. Like, yeah, and Stand by Me also does a really good job of capturing that spirit. Right? And, and, and it's you know, for me, growing up, that is the quintessential uh, coming of age storyline. Yeah, well, it's like, and Steve, I know that you said that like. That was a big um, movie for you as far as like Steve, Stephen King adaptations. I mean, like, well, I mean, especially the Lardass portion where he would vomit all over everybody, right? With the castor oil. I'm kidding. I'm sorry. <laughs> wow. Tell <laughs> Matt. Yeah, no, um, no, but it just, I, um, yeah, I just, sorry, Terry, I cut you off. Um, I'm gonna cut Steve off here. I love Christine. This might like, this is going to be one of my top Carpenter films. I adore this film. I've watched it multiple times 
there's something about it that, that just it just it all locks together really really well and it might just be because I'm familiar with the source material but I think as a film it's lean and mean which I think Carpenter is really good at doing lean and mean like where like where we're we gonna go what's going next here we go my god like as much as he this is a gun for hire his fingerprints are all over this movie and as much as I appreciate him wanting to make a paycheck he puts so much heart into this movie mm-hmm. and like I've I've watched interviews with like there's like Q and A's that have happened at a cons and that this guy was always the fun dude to work with. Mm-hmm. Like he was always having fun, but always being a professional. How can you ever imagine working for a boss like that? Like, well, he was always <laughs> mindful. I am just hitting microphones now. I'm just I'm I'm a messy bitch. Uh, I'm a shitter. But like now, he was always aware of uh, budget and, and time. But he was also like a fun, laid back guy. That it's like if as long as we're doing what we need to do, I'm welcome to the conversation. And I think I think there's a distinction there. And it's those kinds of ideas of like about filmmaking. And that's like, we know what we're supposed to do here. We have an objective and I still have like this idea of what the film should be. Like he's a, he, he's a workhorse. Like by, by no means have I ever said that he is like the guy who's like, well, you know, it is what it, it is what it is. He's still making the music and everything too. Like mm-hmm. this dude is like he's part of all the facets of making film, you know. Like, and it's a beautiful thing. I th- honestly, I think for, for for being a gun for hire, this is very much a carpenter film. Hell yeah, yeah, hell yeah. Like the score is beautiful. The music involved in this movie is beautiful. And I, I was telling a story earlier amongst uh, Steve and and Paul. When I was growing up, I grew up with my grandparents. Doo-wop and like, you know, Motown music and that was always a thing for me. When this movie came out, I was I was born the year this came out. It was always a constant in my life. Mm-hmm. And I don't like I there, the connection to Stephen King was past tense. Like it was like, it was like well, I'm going to figure that out later. But and then and like even the John Carpenter connection, like I didn't know who was creating these films. All I knew is it was a beautifully shot film. And it sounded great, mm-hmm. you know. So like, listening to the, like, even if I just like put this on an audio loop, I could listen to this film all night. Fair enough. So, so Steve, I'm gonna put this to you. Um, if this film was remade, because it was set in '78 and it was talking about a, a '58 Plymouth Fury, which is a for all intents and purposes a very pedestrian car, but I love the name of a Fury. It's so good. Um, so if this film was set in 2002, what vehicle and what songs do you think would be playing on the radio? Well, uh, I like to point out to people that, uh, I come from a family of mechanics and, uh, that gene skipped me and I know dick about cars. So like, <laughs> you're like, what 2002 car? I'm going to be like, I don't know, a Ford Escort. I, those were still around then, right? Okay. So, um, so you're not, you're not that far off. So. Uh, the Plymouth Fury was a two-door sedan at the time. It was very much a very low-key kind of vehicle, right? So if you take this movie and fast forward to 2020, 22, and then do a film set in 2002, you do an update of Christine. I decided to do some research. Um, it gets really weird. <laughs> so um, the, the, sorry, the Plymouth name was retired in 2001, 
So there's no Plymouths past that, but it was a Dodge Chrysler thing, right? Cause Dodge Chrysler Plymouth was like all like that was under the thing. So you have some options here, Steve. I'm going to point it out to you. Was it a Chrysler Sebring, <laughs> which is a very oh. ugly kind of car. It's like the 2002s were like, what if we just do things that's kind of like, hmm, I guess I gave up whatever. Right. Um, <laughs> the Dodge Avenger, <laughs> Like, okay, great, right? Well, the Avenger is a new thing now. Well, but now, but the Dodge Avenger then, it ran for like 14 years or whatever, but the 2002 like, Dodge Avenger was kind of like a two-door sedan. I was like, meh. Like, there's a lot of like this weird, like everything was kind of a little curvy, but not kind of thing. Um, but also like 2002 cars, like, um, the, like the Honda Accord was a big deal at the time, but in terms of like Dodge, like Plymouth Chrysler, I'm going to go with a Sebring or Avenger. What if those were the cars that Arnie found and was like, you know what? This one speaks to me. <laughs> <laughs> they're, they're trying to get that off. Also, the so the PT Cruiser. Yeah. Well, yeah. And, <laughs> yeah. Well, they're trying to get this off the ground now as a remake, and apparently it's going to be released in 2023. I'm like, but what is timeline? That's what I'm saying. Like, when you go back and actually look at these cars, they're all kind of like these like like curvy. It's like kind of like when you go back and watch Robocop, you're like, the Ford Taurus was the car of the future. You're like, was it? You know, type of thing, right? <laughs> That's kind of where we're at with that. So I'm also going to put this to you, Steve. I have the Billboard Top 100 from 2002. Like the Billboard Year End Hot 100 singles of 2002. We know that Christie was playing a bunch of doo-wop and like songs from the 50s. I'm going to put this to you, uh -huh. Steve and Terry. What, like 2002, what songs do you think were playing on the radio of the, the updated car that Arnie finds and is going to uh, rebuild? Nickelback. Oh shit! You might be right. So, Terry, sorry, Steve. Where do you think? <laughs> um, two thousand two. I graduated um, in two thousand two. So, like, oh, what was your prom theme? It was "Time of Your Life" by Green Day. <laughs> hate, I hate that song. That's so much better than my prom theme. So, Steve, what was your prom <laughs> theme in nineteen seventy three? What was your prom theme? Uh, <laughs> Son of a bitch. Uh, I'm, sorry. I'm joking. I'm joking. I'm calling it about right. You son of a bitch. <laughs> but uh, I'm trying to think of 2002 songs that would be in there. Now that he said that, all I can hear is Chad Coger from uh, Nickelback uh, with whoever else is in the, yeah, the, it's the a, video for the. It's a lead singer uh, of. Um, oh, Jesus. Are you talking Papa about. Roach or or talking about no, no. It's yeah, a, the Spider Man song, Hero. Is that yeah. what you're talking about? Um, that, oh, that year. Yeah. yeah. And that song is Josie. everywhere. It's like a Josie whatever. Yeah. No, no. So Hero, uh, oh, I have it in here somewhere. It's towards the end. Spider-Man soundtrack. Yeah. Yeah. It is um, Hero, whatever. Um, shit. Where is it at here? It's, it's, Josie it's, Scott. There you go. Look at you. Because um, I, I kind of listen to the lyrics. <laughs> it's in here. Saliva. Yeah, Lee Singer is saliva. Yeah, it's it's in this here. I I, I can't. Oh, uh, sorry. It's number twenty five. Hero, Chad Scott fe featuring Josie Chad. Scott. Sorry, Chad Kroger featuring what? Josie Scott. <laughs> Chad Chad Kroger and uh, sorry, Chad Josie. You're just and, saying names now. <laughs> and Scott Chad. No, Hero is in that. Uh, so you're right. And then how you remind me was the number one uh, track 
from Nickelback that year. Could you imagine this car just the Sebring oh. driving around? <laughs> Thank you. Also, for, can I can I please thank you for reminding me? Can I please? Yeah, yeah, right. Can I please? Uh, well, one, Terry, I need to let you know. I, I you might already know this. My prompt theme was uh, "Remember Me This Way." The theme to Casper. Yeah, I do remember. I remember seeing Casper at the uh, the, oh, the was, theater. It's like really the the the, the dead ghost kid. That's our th- prompt theme. Anyway, so all right. Here's other songs, uh, Hot in Here by Nelly. Yeah. <laughs> Could you imagine that being played? Uh, in the End by Linkin Park. Mm. Um, Blurry by Puddle of Mud. Yeah. Uh, Complicated by Avril Lavigne. Uh, <laughs> the Middle by Jimmy World. But that, that song's okay. I like Jimmy um, Yeah, yeah. Uh, what else do I have in here? Um, oh, My Sacrifice by Creed. A mm-hmm. uh, hero. Creed by- still a thing in, in 2002. <laughs> wow. Well, that's right. off of uh, Human Clay. Uh, that, that. <laughs> no, that was the first album that they did. Human Clay was the first one. No, that's. That, I think that's my own prison. Okay, great. So Terry just revealed himself. That's fine. All right. Um, I I did. <laughs> I had all three of the, the first albums. I'm sorry, guy. Look, I like. Hey, no one's gonna judge you. We'll both. I will. Be here it's with fine. Arms it's wide fine. open. The arms so, wide open. I, you know, I was oh, judging you earlier, Steve. Yeah. So now it's time for you to judge me. All right. Other song, <laughs> "Work It" by Missy Elliott, which is a great song. "Work" is a great song. Um, what else we got here? Um, let's let's see. <laughs> "Butterflies" by Michael Jackson. That's probably not Aidwell. Oh, I thought well. you were gonna say "Butterfly" by Crazy Town. So <laughs> I'm sure that's the same year. Honestly, that's probably right. Um, let's see here. I like a lot of like new metal, so uh, yeah. Um, turn off the light by Nelly Furtado. Um, what else is on here? Um, yeah, anyway, Some I just Godsmack, I stand alone. Yeah, I wish, right? Look. But anyway, I just like the idea that there would just be the like Chrysler Sebring just like busting out Nickelback driving around running over people. That's the that's the update to Christine. I had to see. I, I, th- I think it works this way. I don't even understand why they're even thinking about remaking the film not saying it's a masterpiece but it just doesn't work in any other timeline they have well, to no, it has to be period piece. no but like so sort there, of there, there's this kind of jump between the 50s to the 80s right like the like sorry or early 80s like 78 where um society music and cars have changed so much significantly in the last 20 years right that like you go from like like 78 to, you know, like 20 years after what, like, you know, 98, like they've changed, but like not much. I, I don't know. It's like there, there is such a sea change that's happened in terms of like music and availability. And like, we have at the very end where leads, like I hate rock and roll. It's like, okay, great. Like, like it's just maybe, maybe, and even like Terry, you can speak to this. You've, you have gotten to the book a couple times after Christine was disposed of, there was talks of a car, a green 58 Plymouth three, like rolling around California. And someone referenced it. Like it bit me like Christine's running around. I think there is a distinct body shape from like that time that you can't recreate now. Like the only thing I think of, I was looking at this up would be like, um, you guys remember the Plymouth Prowler? The prowl- prowler and the cruiser, <laughs> yeah, like though, like a PT cruiser would just hit somebody and just fall apart because they were a shit vehicle. They'd be like, done. Like that would be it. Everything would fall apart. 
Because they're, they're trying to reinvent the idea of, like, this vehicle that doesn't look like anything else. Yeah. And now, like, we have the De- DeLorean that's coming back now, right too. Back, yeah. So, you know, like, we're recording this in June of uh, 2022. It's like, if you're, like, listening to this in the future, yeah. uh, the DeLorean is a new thing. Well, but there's, <laughs> like, there was, like, distinct body shapes, like... um like, um, do you remember like how the, the Mustang kind of went from being the Mustang to like this weird stretched out, like, like weird Dodge, like uh charger looking thing. It was like, it became much more of a sedan and like, and then it, like they had there the is rebirth. body types. Yeah. But, you know. And even like the Thunderbird kind of came back and like went away. Like, like there's cool body shapes for vehicles. The 50, the 50, right? well, like even Stephen King wanted to get away from all that. Yeah. He wanted the vehicle that no one ever wanted to remember. Yeah. And like, the, so the 57 Thunderbird is a beautiful vehicle. Yeah. Oh the, the, the 57 Chevy is an amazing, cool. And then like, and like, even like the Thunderbirds back then, but the Plymouth Fury was like, <laughs> it was like, it was like the car that would sit on the side of the prom and not be asked out by anybody. Like it'd be at the prom, but like not asked for a dance. And it actually works in the timeline of the seventies that the, you know, the Plymouth Fury is coming back. It's like, mm-hmm. but we have the Chargers now. Yeah. We have the, all the, like, all the Chrysler vehicles that look tough. They yeah. look super the muscle cars. tough. Muscle cars. And yeah. like, but here's the Fury coming down around. Yeah. Like, if they did an update of the Fury, I think I'd be okay with that. I think it'd be a lot of fun. I'd like it. Yeah. So anyway, so Steve, what song uh, <laughs> from 2002 would you prefer being played? I'm kidding. <laughs> the you know anyway so steve respond please uh, yeah no i was just listening to you guys rattle off cars and i'm like yeah i'm I, I can't even weigh in here i got nothing uh the only thing i had there for like a brief second was i was like uh i'll bring up you know maybe you do it as a comedy and you know you make the car like super lame like a pinto or a geo uh tracker that was all i got <laughs> a geo storm um <laughs> geo metro it's like this little tiny car that tries to run over people but it takes a half hour to actually do anything i would appreciate that no like if you did a modern update now i think i think there's that car culture with like everybody that like especially from like a social media thing where you have people that will like want to add to add to like that pimp my ride type of like just make it a thing Sure. I think, I think there's something there. However, I think this film works better as a period piece and it exists perfectly in the time that it is because it's almost like, um, you have the boomer generation and then like the gen X coming forward. I think, I don't know, like it works really where, where, well, where it's at because there was like a significant change historically, um, like, dynamically with the cars and the music and everything. I don't know if we can have that same type of like there, there's an essence there. I don't know if we can have that again. Well, especially if you think about in the context of being like now people are like, well, yeah, you can zoop that up. You can fix it up wherever. What, what exists in this film is like, even the people that knew that car were like, look at that hunk of shit out in my parking lot right now or my driveway. Let me, let me ask this quick, you know, 
why does it have to be 20 years? Like, they could do it now, and, like, hell, they could even, like, because we, at the very end of this movie, when she's crushed into a cube, uh, we get a very, you know, small movement indicating that, like, Christine may reform. Like, what if that, you know, they pick up and they're like, you know, Christine has transformed from that cube back into a hunk of shit. Oh, yeah. And somebody very much like Arnie comes along. Oh, you know what I, you know you know what I, I mean? Like, yeah, like, I think that's fair. I think it'd be great if we end up getting, uh, like, set this in California where it was. There is there is this, um, if you go and look, uh, there's other cultures that have, like, their greaser 50s obsession like there's a lot of like i think there's a, like a south korean like thing that runs i mean i'm not trying to be look it up there's other there's other cultures that have like their they they find like a time like frame cuba, cuba has a lot of like old school that too yeah it's like what if like there's people that are like oh this is the right time right place and you still have that same like sense of like like this you, is melted op- down op- from american still and um like payback I think you could go in a lot of different directions with this. It'd be a lot of fun. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. I adore this film. I, I love this movie. And it's like, and for me, Steve, you brought up some like inconsistencies and like, and like things to dig in further. And those are all valid. It's like, but I, I love this movie. Like I've seen this multiple times, um, finding out like through my, like just understanding where we go with this, where this is the next movie after the thing. It's like, it just, it boggles my mind because the thing is like a perfect film. And Christine is for me, damn near perfect. I adore this movie. I adore it so much. Yeah. I mean, it'll be interesting, you know, as we go through the, the year of Carpenter, you know, there, there are movies that are coming up that I have not seen. Um, and it, I brought up earlier, you know, the latter half of his career. I think that, you know, outside of like your, they lives and, uh, you know, in the mouth of madness, you know, I, I don't know, you know, I'm trying to think of where I, I place this. Like it's, it's definitely in the, you know, the top half of his career, both chronologically and, you know, probably like if I'm rating the films of his that I've seen, but you know, uh, I don't know if we're ranking overall, you know, as we're going through this, you know, like I'm wondering if things will, will change, you know, uh, I'm not saying that I'm going to suddenly discover something that's going to make me forget Halloween, <laughs> but I mean, you know, it's not like I'm going to be like, I just watched the ward with Amber and now, you know, Halloween is no longer my favorite movie. I, that's obviously not going to happen, but, um, you know, I feel like we're learning more and more about Carpenter as a director and what makes his work work, if that makes sense. Yeah. And it'll be interesting to see, like, you know, uh, what our appreciation for Carpenter is after we get through this, and particularly for his later half of his career. And, um, you know, I go to a lot of other movies before I go to Christine when I think of Carpenter. Um, but I, I will admit that this is probably... It's in probably the the top five to ten spots, you know. Yeah, no, um, I, I think it's one of those ones. It's like all I things considered. I, I, yeah, I think that's fair. Like once you kind of like get over everything going on and realize that this is um, his bounce back film. It's you know, it, I mean, that sounds like it's a relationship thing of like, oh, it's it's my um, it's my bounce back girlfriend. In a lot of ways, it kind of is, you know, like and like 
oh, you're going to give me a, a like you're going to give me a budget to do this thing, and I'm not fully committed. But then the further he gets in, it's like, oh, this is my movie too. Yeah, and it, it really is a bummer to think that um, he needed to just get a paycheck, and he took this, and it's like, what? What was the next option? Like, what? What? What would have desired yeah. your like full energy? Well, if this yeah. isn't the full energy of John Carpenter, I I don't know what is. I think he was just so burnt out on a lot of companies. Just well, I think he was. Him. I think he was heartbroken about he how was, the thing he didn't was so do. Bummed out about the shitters. Well, yeah, the shitters, right? I think he was heartbroken because the thing was like his most at his highest. It's such a good film i know i know and like we like yeah no i I adore the thing i and then we talked about this right it bums me out dude (laughs) but yeah right my god you bought me the art book of the thing i and i appreciate that but um but it's just one of those things where it's like things it's like you you had complete creative control and all it's almost parallel to um 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 shit um citizen kane um you know that guy. You know the guy. You know Orson Welles. Orson Welles. That guy. You know the dude. <laughs> that guy. You no, know, Steve. That you, you critically talked, acclaimed. Yeah. Orson no, Welles. You, no, you talked about. Um, you know that the, the film that you did. You know that you talked about. About <laughs> rhythm. Orson Welles. It's where we're like like um like Citizen Kane was like his peak, right? And but then everyone's like, oh, it's a financial failure. But you were a revolutionary. Guess we're gonna limit everything you do from here on out. And you and you uh, talked about Touch of Evil, right? Uh, with uh, the El Goro, the, the, the Goro on Talk Without Rhythm. I feel like it's not the same thing. However, there's this parallel track in the sense of like, you knew what you were doing, but it took like 20, 30 years for everybody else to catch up, you know? And I feel like the thing was that, and Christine is like that, like, all right, I'm not committed to this. However, I'm going to make this the the best goddamn thing I can make it. And I adore this film. I've seen it multiple times. I'm going to keep watching it. Um, I just, everything Steve, you're saying is apt. It, but it's like, one of those things where I'm like, yeah, sure. Beep, 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 and I just like shove it away. So anyway, yes, Terry, Please, Steve. I like. I completely agree with you on certain points there. It's. I. I hope to God you read this story soon. Like the the book the, is good. The, the book King is really good. Story yeah. is it's so good, and it's not to take away from what John Carpenter did. It's very horny. So I hope you appreciate the horniness. Well, yeah. I don't know. Like it might be more horny to watch that movie. Like, <laughs> <laughs> I don't know. This is pretty horny oh, in the movie. God. Anyway, yeah. 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 And it just, Buddy Rapperton. Oh my God. Like, if I was in the dudes, Buddy Rapperton. Oh my God. Let's listen to Terry being very horny for mm. the book. All right. He's yeah. a, he's, a, he's a masculine dude. <laughs> Wait. My yogurt any day. <laughs> <laughs> well, you broke Terry. So. Well, thank you. All right. Well. <laughs> But yeah, like no, you make valid points. Like the uh, the adaptation of this, like there is things that Carpenter could have done better, but it's not on Carpenter uh, because King is such a weird writer, and he puts it, it's so- hard. It's hard to 
to do what he does on the written page yeah and change it and make it approachable to the screen exactly and it's like and king was like i have these i would like to put onto screen that (laughs) that was that was king himself he was like yeah, I, you know, if you want to turn this into a movie, you know, because <laughs> I mean, he he was on that wavelength right then. He's and like, cocaine, a lot of cocaine. Well, yeah, a lot of cocaine. Um, so I mean, no, I just other I, Steve King. So say something about yeah, that. please, please, other Steve, say a thing. We'll we'll wrap it up here in a second. Okay. Uh, no, you know, I I think that. Uh, uh, when you were talking about it being, you know, a work for hire job, whatever, I, you know, it's not like he's you bull, like, you know, in the sense of like, there are guys out there who you just hire to make something because they can, you know, basically make something come in, you know, at a certain dollar amount that'll make them a, a profit. Like and Joel Schumacher. No, yeah. Yeah. There you go. Yeah. Like there's no, you know, I don't. They're not John Carpenter, I guess, is what I'm trying to say. There's, there's not a, a. Even if he's doing a work for hire, you're still getting John Carpenter. And I guess that's probably the thing to keep in mind. You know, for a studio at that time, that's still got to be an allure. You know, uh, yeah, that's right. I don't know. I don't feel like I'm doing this conversation justice at this point. But I, I just, yeah. uh, it's know. been three hours, Steve. Like we're, we, we, we said a lot. But like, so can I can I at least appreciate that. You found something here in this film upon a rewatch to appreciate. Oh, yeah. Yeah. And I mean, I'm sure that, you know, when we we get through the year, you know, like I said, there's there's going to be things that I I like less than than Christine. And I don't mean that as a a diss. I just mean that, like, uh, it's not one that I put at the very top, but it's not one that I put even in the middle, probably is. I guess what I'm saying. Fair it's, enough. Uh, it's the the pizza analogy, you know. It, it's it's even if it's bad, it's still pizza. It's still pretty good. So fair enough. All right, that's going to do it for our discussion about Christine. Uh, you guys can find us on Invasion of the Podcast uh, on Facebook. Uh, you can email us directly at invadingpodcast at gmail dot com. Um, and then uh, Steve, um, how can people find us? Otherwise, find you, not us, you. Yeah, uh, I'm just going to butt in again real quick here. I mean, you threw it to me, so I'm not butting in. But uh, <laughs> that was literally the worst way that I could have left my thoughts on Christine. I, I Because it, it sounded like a backhanded shitty compliment. I, I think please, it's a, please, let's know your backhanded compliments and how people can find you, please. <laughs> yeah, no, I, I don't want that to be my last thing that I say about Christine. And it's not like I'm, uh, you know... Who knows? Maybe I'm protecting my own Steve, death or you're something. Not a but I'm, I, well, it's I'm sure we'll talk about it again in the future. Uh, uh, <laughs> my death, that is. Um, but uh, I, I, I really do think it's a well-made movie. It's story problems that disconnect me from it. Like, there's nothing that Carpenter does that I'm like, oh, that's a bad choice. Like, I, I think that it's a wonderful uh, acted movie. I think it's a beautiful movie. I think that the the music is enchanting. Uh, enchanting maybe not the best adjective to use there but uh, um it's empowering i guess in some ways uh, that said uh you know it's it's a it's a very good movie and I, I think that like the few flaws that i have with it are, are you know minor ones and i don't think that they probably 
I, I don't think that that would be most people's issues, you know, with this movie. Like you said, that there were people who, you know, they just never bought into the premise of a possessed car. So, like, if you never buy into it, you're not going to you're not going to go along for the ride anyway. So I just made matters worse. You can find me on Instagram and Facebook under the Saturday Night Slasher. You can find me uh, on Twitter under the Saturday Slasher. We have a website, the Saturday Night Slasher dot com. And uh, lastly, you can find me and Ryan Sandy in sunny Dayton, Ohio, uh, July 23rd and 24th at the Gem City Comic Con. So uh, we'll be talking about that as the weeks get closer. But I have to say, uh, if you're in the area or you're planning on going to the show, please stop by. Um, that's that's where I'll leave it. <laughs> and Terry, how can people find you and maybe me? We are doing Strange Highways. Uh, Strange Highways is a podcast that we typically talk about the uh, Twilight Zone. Typically. Typically. <laughs> um, we yeah. we have covered the original series. Uh, we have covered the Jordan Peele uh, rendition of the series. Uh, we are right now in the midst of talking about the 80s rendition of it. So please check out Strange, High- Strange Highways You know, on most of your platforms. <laughs> So check that out. And uh, I do want to say, because you guys are doing a great job here talking about John Carpenter. John Carpenter, if you guys are interested, will be at a con. He will be at Steel City Con from August 12th to the 14th. And, you know, if you're listening to this in uh, a future year, I'm sorry. I'm sorry. Or tomorrow. (laughs) But uh, or, or, you know, like, like I apologize if like you've listened to this after the fact. Yes. Yeah, yeah, because he'll be there for 2022. So, yeah, John Carpenter fans, check him out. He'll be yeah. there. So, Terry and I will be here there as well. But check out Strange Highways. We're getting into the 80s uh, Twilight Zone. It's getting weird because yeah. as much as um, we appreciate the Twilight Zone and watching it sequentially. Um, like it, 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 like, like I'll say this. Like, um, we just recently ca- talked about a segment called "Dead Woman Shoes" that had Helen Mirren and Jeffrey Tambor. Uh, it might be one of my uh, favorite conversations we've had so far in the A series because we got really weird and it's silly. It was a lot of fun. Um, but yeah, it's like you know, the Twilight Zone moves on. So if you guys like anthology stuff, check it out. It'd be a lot of fun. Uh, and maybe this is a good time to announce, uh, you know, the new podcast that Terry and I are doing together. Uh, it's about the series Monsters from the uh, late '80s, early '90s, and it's uh, Men on Monsters. Uh, it's oh, no, 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 I, so, dude, it, dude, I would, I would, I would produce the f out of that. That'd be a lot of fun if you guys just did a watch through <laughs> of Monsters. You have no idea. I, I so do want to come on sometime uh, when you guys are taking a break from Strange Hi- from Strange Highway from uh, the uh, Twilight Zone. Uh, if you guys want to cover those monsters, I think that would be fun. I'll, although I'm still fighting to get on for Freddy's uh, uh, nightmares. So either too. either way, you have d- Steve. Steve, come on, come on. I love you. Whatever you want to call your shop, <laughs> another show. <laughs> Terry's on the show now. Like we're, it's all very incestuous. It's very much us and Game of Thrones, like episode one, pushing a kid out of a window. It's fine. It's oh, fine. God. <laughs> <laughs> so, all right. So that's going to do it for this week. We're going to take a week off because of the holiday for July 4th. 
Um, we have not decided what we're doing uh, the next week, but we'll figure it out. We'll let you know. Uh, follow us on social media. It's going to be a lot of fun. Um, but in the meantime, have a good week. Have a safe week. And Steve, I'm going to give you the final final word here. How 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 do you like where where are we at with Christine? Uh, I, I, I think I, I tried to say it earlier. I think that, uh, uh, and, and I failed, but I, I think that it's, uh, definitely top tier Carpenter. Uh, it's, it's easily in his top of his films in the, the top half of, uh, his filmography for, I think me. Uh, and if it's, if you're somebody who did initially walk away from it the way I did, maybe it's time to revisit it. Cause, uh, I had a whole lot of fun watching it this last time. Also, don't choke on hamburgers because you're shitters. Forever, my darling, my love will be true. Promise me, darling, your love in return. Make this fire in my soul, dear, forever burn. My heart's at your command, dear, to keep love and to hold. Making you happy is my desire, dear. Keeping you is my goal I'll forever love you The rest of my days I'll never part from you And your loving way Apart from you